You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Welcome, everybody, to We Have Issues, Geek Elite Media show that's about everything literary. Books, comic books, webcomics, manga, and everything else you might be reading, we're here to talk about it. As always, I am your vaccinated host, Keith, here, and joined by my stalwart sidekick, who's always at my side, host Sway. And I'm going to sound hella stuffy because allergies hit me, so I wish I was vaccinated so I can just feel better about myself <laughs> and just to be vaccinated already. For the record, when I say he's at my side, he's not physically at my side until he does get vaccinated. So Yes, that's true. <laughs> Everybody out there, get vaccinated. Stop being stupid. Moving exactly. on. <laughs> um, as you guys know, we are here to talk about all the newest releases of comics this week. Um, I quickly scanned for some news. I didn't find much, but I did find two quick things I wanted to bring up that I thought was awesome. Um, are you a fan of The Office, Josue? I am. You know the story Threat Level Midnight with Michael yeah. Skarn? It's they're adapting it to a graphic novel. Oh shut up. Alright. Yeah. So I need to get this. That'll I'll be get amazing. <laughs> so um but yeah, it's getting adapted to its own graphic novel. Um it is uh I don't know if there's a publisher involved yet. Um but uh writer is gonna be Nikki Saldana, the artist is uh Nasrip. <laughs> Nostra Tep art. Um, basically, the cover, it does feature a cover that is a parody of the Walking Dead 1's cover. Ooh, okay. But with Dwight as Rick Grimes. What? Okay. Yeah. But he's so, supposed to be the butler, the the robot butler. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm very excited about that. So, I thought it'd be a fun thing to bring up. The other thing I want to bring up is someone we, we talk about fairly often because I can't help but reference it. Um, Jeff Smith, the creator of Bone, yeah, has launched a Kickstarter campaign aimed at financing his uh, his uh, comic Tuki, T U K T U K I. Mm. Um, it was it was an online comic for a while, but then he decided to go ahead and start over, completely rebuild it, and now he's got a Kickstarter to finish it off. Um, it was pretty cool. I checked out a little bit of it, so that that Kickstarter definitely exists out there. You guys should check it out if you have a chance. Um, Jeff Smith is always worth a look. You know, he's just great. So, uh, the only other thing I want to talk about before we get started is uh, we're going to start talking about on the the shows actually the Kickstarters that we sponsor every month nice. because um, I want I want to give them as much props as possible, and if this gets to a few more years, that can help back these then by all means please please back these projects because indie comics are you know something that me and host find very dear to our hearts hell yeah and you know this is as indie as it gets you know self-sponsoring <laughs> so um the first one i pledged was bjorn uh the littlest viking saga which is basically kind of like in a calvin and Hobbes style but it's about a little viking boy and his his buddy who's a troll uh, we went ahead and sponsored that one. So that one is, it looks really cool. That one's actually already over, so you can't sponsor it, but they did meet their goal. So more than good. I'm sure he'll do a book three because this was book two. So keep an eye out for that. Um, the one you can still 
actually give two is called adventuring without a permit and just to give you a quick update on exactly what this is basically um adventuring without a permit is a fantasy story about an adventuring party and they're trying to become an adventure party but they have to get their license first so this is literally about the logistics and red tape of getting a license to become an official adventurer adventuring <laughs> that's party. cool yeah it looks really fun the characters are really great I'm betting it's going to have a really good sense of humor. Um, the dwarf in the group has a mushroom for a head. Hmm. Like, so it, like the art just looks fun. It's just, and it's, it's black and white. Uh, but definitely if you guys want to back that one, it was created by Casey Flynn. And um, we'll have the, we'll have the link on our Twitter as to where you can go to back that. So, um, yep. So keep an eye out for more Kickstarters. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we sponsor more than one a month. I mean, just since January, I've sponsored nine Kickstarters, nice. I think. So, yeah. So, we'll always have stuff up there. We And we'll, even if we don't uh, fund something ourselves, we like to reblog them. So, just keep an eye out on our Twitter. Uh, we usually plug at the end, but just so you know, WHI Podcast is our Twitter. So, all right. Now, we're going to launch into this week's books. And we start, as always, not with a bang, but a boom. But a boom. Boom Studios. Uh, we have three books from Boom this week. I have one that is solo, and that is The Last Witch number five. Excuse me while I grab my gigantic stack of comics. <laughs> it was so, a so huge big, week. I can almost not flip it over with one hand. I almost needed both hands to flip the stack. <laughs> so, all right. So, Last Witch number five. This is the end of the first arc, and it's her showdown with the Wind Witch. Mm. Um, Written by Connor McCreary, illustrated by V.V. Glass, colored by Natalia Nestorinko, and lettered by Jim Campbell. So, she she does come to this, uh, you know, confrontation with the Wind Witch, and she has the new, um, the new member of her party, uh, which is uh, Hugh, a fairy, a half fairy boy, that has joined them, and we've discovered that her powers are significantly more powerful when they're in physical touch with each other, so it's kind of like, something's going on there. Really interesting. And uh, she fights the Wind Witch, and it's actually really cool. It comes with some really great, like, pretty crazy-looking stuff um, that I'll show Josue, like... Her face changes a lot, but, like, here's a show of it. There we go. Oh, nice. Oh, the Wind Witch, like... Yeah, she looks pretty insane-looking, and, like, she has all these different kinds of winds. So you can see right here, because, you know, there's many different winds. Here's her, like, full form with all of her faces. Yeah. And each one has a different wind. So one's like the whistler and one's like, you know, a gale and everything like that. So it's really cool, really cool fight. And it ends up, you know, being very difficult for her. And let's just say her party takes a hit in one way, in a permanent way. So it's kind of interesting. And it scarred her to the point that she's, she's more warlike now. She's less innocent. To the point where, and I'm not going to spoil this for the group out there, but I'm going to show Josue. This is what she looked like at the very end of the issue. What? Oh, oh, shit. Okay, yeah. she looks cool. Damn. Yeah, she's she's taking things seriously. Something serious happened to the group that I'm not going to tell you, because I really want you to read this when you get a chance. Yeah. But to the point that she's she's very much upset and is going to take it out on somebody. So. Fuck, okay. Yeah, so dope. Next up is The Return. <laughs> the triumphant return for one of me and Jose's favorite books. 
Wind number six. Yes. Wind. <laughs> so happy. Written by James Taney in the fourth, illustrated by Michael Dialis. Di- ah, I can never say his name right. Dion Linus. There we go. A uh, letter by Anvold. Um, so our favorite winged gay fairy boy is back. And I say fairy in the magical sense and the gay sense, actually. Well, I'm you sure already said no- gay, so it'd be redundant. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure he's fine with that. Um, and it's finally back. Everything with the bandage man is over with, and we get to see these characters again. And I'm, I was so excited to get back into this world. Yeah, we find out a couple things. We get an idea of like the threat that's upcoming and everything. Mm-hmm. We get a lot more story with some of the other side characters. Like we get to see the prince's father, the king, a lot more. Um, we get to find out more about the vampire nation. Think we get to meet the the prince's cousin and stuff but to me to me the most important thing was we found out that both titus and the gardener are alive yes dude i was literally that's why i was bookmarking it too just because like god the dad just holding on to just like the one memento just to hold on just to hold on to thorn for and it's like i was really happy about that too yeah if if all the adults died i would have been kind of like that's a real bummer dude yeah <laughs> but it's nice to know that so um but yeah we get to see them out on the open water we get some setup with some new characters as i said we're definitely set up in a new arc it's really really great um i i, I like the prince's cousin but i have a feeling there's gonna be a problem with him like he's a little too happy-go-lucky or just like or he yeah. starts mentioning was like i'm next in line because of basically you left or some shit it's like Ooh, okay like i get it dude <laughs> yeah but then we're left off in a cliffhanger where it seems like there is an attack about to happen. So yeah, um, I'm just so excited to have it back. I don't even care. Oh, dude, me too. And it felt, <laughs> like, it felt a little oversized too of an issue, a little thick of an issue. I liked it. Oh yeah, totally. So loved it. And uh, we're gonna move on to our last boom book, and one I know Josue is incredibly excited to talk about. I also very much enjoyed this book for the record, Josue. A number one, Eve. Number yes. one. Real quick, uh, written by Victor Laval, illustrated by Joe Ming-Yong, uh, colored by Brittany Peer, and lettered by Anne World. Um, first of all, Josue, what cover did you get? Uh, just cover A. Uh, I got the Mirka and Dolphal cover. Really? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't think I was, I don't think I, I don't think I saw it. I was just like, I was just stoked to get this one. Yeah. So, this is a great number one. It sets up a really cool protagonist in a very unique scenario. Uh, with a cool sidekick too like it yes. checks a lot of boxes to make you really want to just or uh, like to um to hook onto this to to mm-hmm. to want to read more uh so Josue, i'll let you start what did you think i was just so captivated by it it's probably this almost probably one of my favorite first issues like first issues are starting up issues in a while like once you get that hook or that that turn, and you're just like, oh, it, it got hella emotional for me. It was just like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. like why? Why would you just paint this or put this person in in this in this position? Like that's not that's not fair. Yeah. And you get almost like I mean, like the most obvious reference to it. It looks like AI, artificial intelligence, but instead of just being a robot boy and it's teddy bear robot, it's just it, it's gonna be a little more real than that. Yeah, and fuck it just. Dude, when I when it was just hitting me, I was just like, so the first part of the book was just there, and like, God, dude, it just it got me. It was like, 
I was really, I was really just again like captivated by the just the first issue. I think it, it might have been also because I confused it for Eden's one shot. So I thought to just once they hit the turn, like off the bat, I was like, oh fuck, it's just going to tell like an insanely strong story. But at the end, I got the the nice to be continued. I was like, oh, I was all for it. Yeah. One thing I like is it's got a little bit of a lot of things we like. Mm-hmm. Like it's got a child story in a, in a manner that we like in like wind or folklore. It's like it feels a little bit like that early on. But then it has a dark turn, but not super dark, not like grim dark, but like a apocalyptic turn. Yeah. Hero, hero called to heroism. I also got kind of a America Chavez pull from this last person uh, from the universe, you know, thing mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I thought that was kind of cool. So um, I really, really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, it was too. really, really good. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I mean. It seems like at least a portion of the plot, and we're trying to be vague with this one because it's really good, and the twist is is the story. So if we told you yeah. the twist, we would tell you what happens in the first issue. It's, it's just, so go, it's worth the find. Like really, go yeah. go seek it out. But uh, it does seem like a major message of this is going to be climate change, and yes. um, that's a major issue to me. That's one of my pet you know pet projects is preventing climate change. So. Uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely important to me. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a, like I said, it's a lot of things I like. So <laughs> that was awesome. All right. So that wraps us up with The Boom, which takes us on to Aftershock Comics. We only have one issue of Aftershock Comics this week, but it's quite <laughs> oh, literally shit. a big one. So <laughs> uh, Aftershock, Eden. Yes. One shot. This thing is gigantic. It's awesome. Uh, I'll tell the quick story. If you guys are looking for this in your comic book store, I walked up to the counter. I I picked it up. I'm like, this is really big. And I took it up to the front counter. I was paying for it. And the guy in my comic store, a really great guy named Stoggy, he was like, I was like, do you think that's going to fit in a Golden Age book or bag? Because, you know, the Golden Age is the biggest bags. That's Mm -hmm. when the comics were huge. He's like, oh, I don't even know. You know, I don't even think about that. So he pulled out a board for a Golden Age bag held it up and it was too small and he's like i'm like oh Damn. man what am i gonna do and he's like whoa, whoa, wait one sec he reaches into a box where they have bags for magazines like heavy metal magazine and stuff like yeah. that, really big stuff and it was just a perfect fit so if <laughs> any of you are looking to bag it it's the magazine bag with a board and, so, and interesting good yeah so uh but it, it's huge it tells you a lot so uh but written by colin bunn drawn by dalibor talajic uh colored by valentina brisky and lettered by Marshall Dillon. This story was dope. Yeah. And it was dark. <laughs> and it was grim, but not too grim. And it had a little bit of everything. And it was about tattoos, which is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you think? Dude, I fucking loved it. Like, I, I did not know where, where it was going to go, where it was going to take me. Uh, but yeah, and then it just takes one of the almost ultimate darkest turns ever. But in the meantime... DM is just such a pretty story. Yeah. Like really the, well the protagonist is such a like a troubled dude, but he's just so cool. Just like you want to call him collected, but you know that there's something there. It made me want to, it, it was tempting to trim my mustache like his and start growing the, the chin. <laughs> Cause DM, it, it, it just made it look so cool. Uh, but yeah. And then like the tattoos that he would do were just so cool. So like the story is about Eden who shows up, like Eden is just, like a random woman that shows up at a shop. And is a literal walk-in, just wants a random tattoo just done on herself. And then she shows up again and again. And each time, the last tattoo is gone. 
but every time it's like she's just so vague about it and he's curious but doesn't want to doesn't mean to pry and it's just so funny i love that the that the whole uh shop is like encouraging him to like hit on her because she really is interested or assumes very assumes pretty interested on him and he's just like nah because again there's something off about the guy and he also, just as much as he is being a big about the, t- the tattoos, he's not really letting in on what's going on with him, except for just maybe something, something about a family. But then, yeah, we start getting into like the turn of it all towards like the middle of it. And fuck, yeah. is it's just so good, dude. It's really good. Um, it's an awesome dark twist. Um, my first thought was, A, is Aftershock going to do more one shots like this? That's the same cool. feeling. And B, what if it's kind of like a Twilight Zone thing, That'd where be nice. it's each each episode is unlinked stories, you know, but they're all like these cool stories with a cool dramatic twist at the end. That you know, like I just love that idea, and I think AfterShock is in a pretty unique position to do something like that. Yes, absolutely. Again, Eden is like it's a really huge issue, like physical wise, but it's just so badass. It's, it's really pretty at first. It's a nice little like drama romantic story and then you're just like hit with like what the fuck yeah and it's, it's got some really cool it's really dark pretty imagery and, there's some yeah. really dark imagery in it it's really pretty once it starts to hit hits turn but then you're just like oh fuck this is a dark story <laughs> and yeah you, you're, you're, I, I assume everybody would just love this this type of thing yeah nice moving on we're going to talk about oni press and if it's only press, you guys know it's one of two things. It's either Agritsuko or Rick and Morty for me, and it's Rick and Morty this month. Nice. Um, Rick and Morty Worlds Apart number four. Uh, so this is the one with the slut dragons, and this, uh, this is the last issue, so it's the last time I'm going to be able to slay slut dragons on air for a while. Uh, <laughs> nice. So, so I'm going to enjoy saying slut dragons. Uh, written by Josh Trujillo. Uh, now there's two artists. Uh, our... Um, our friend, who we interviewed recently, Tony Fleece, does the Slut Dragon story. Jarrett Williams does the other story, which is the one about Rick and the uh, socialist or the communist bear Rick, okay. um, or the Nazi Nazi bear. There we go. Sorry, I don't, I don't know why that word escaped me. I was like, bad guys. Um, Leonardo Ito does the coloring, and Crank does the lettering. Um, I loved it. It was really cool. Um, in the end, uh, I kind of teased you last time where I asked you. You know, what if you had to watch your grandpa have sex for hours on end? Oh, Jesus, Basically, yeah. that's what happens is the slut dragons have to get their fabled treasure that will help defend them against the person who's trying to drain their powers. And the only thing to do is basically through a gaunt- go through a gauntlet of sex. And Morty's grandpa, the other one, Jerry's dad, volunteers to do it. And it's all projected into the sky and Morty has to watch it. Basically, Oh, my God, no. <laughs> it's great. Um so he gives him, basically he comes out and he gives him a string of beads, which is the magic item, mm-hmm. uh, which is both very probably anal beads and also a literal pearl necklace. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, and we find out more, like the people that are attacking the dragons are called the dragon drainers and they want to drain all their life source and stuff. And um, I'm mostly going to focus on the slut dragon story because the other one's fun a lot. The other one's fun, but it's very, very Rick and Morty in that rick causes chaos on a you know on a planet so right this one's the one that made me like happy uh also jerry was under the impression they were called the hug dragons when morty left he didn't know they were slut dragons he thought they were hug dragons which is great um but basically the entire family gets there and the 
um, the dragon trainers are about to kill all the dragons. And basically, <laughs> Jerry's dad is just like, why would you want to shut off a renewable resource? And he shows a picture of his wife, you know, with the guy he that she cucks, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and he's basically like, true power comes from trust and understanding, not from theft. You have to respect one another's boundaries. Work with them, not against them. There you go. And he goes, these dragons, these slutty dragons are kind and versatile and beautiful. What I'm trying to say is if you swallow all their soul energy, you'll never get to drain them again. And they're basically, the dragon trainers realize, we shouldn't drain you entirely. We should drain you over time. And then the dragons are like, yeah, we actually like being drained. That's fun. Just don't kill us. And and so basically they come to an agreement of like, we're going to drain each we're going to drain you over time. And it's just, yeah, they're all going to have sex. Basically <laughs> it's, it's what the obvious conclusion to this one's going to be. So, <laughs> uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it is wrapped up. Uh, so that's another Rick and Morty series down. We have uh, the, the ongoing Rick and Morty continuing to go. And then we had a, uh, an advertisement for a new Rick and Morty called Rick and Morty Rick's new hat. So, okay. I'm curious to see where that's going to be. That's going to be in June. So great, great book. Loved it. Moving on. Next, we're going to talk about a book I wished I'd been able to pick up, but I could not find a copy. And so my friend Josue is going to tell me all about Beckstar number one. Beckstar number one. From, from Mad Cave, by the way. <laughs> from Mad Cave. Uh, written by Joe uh, Corrayo. Uh, artist is Lorenzo Colangeli. Uh, oh, yeah. And lettering is Joe Matt Gill. I guess like the cover artist is a different. Yeah, because the cover art is different from the actual art, and that's uh, Swinny Buddha's cover art. It's interesting. It does take. It does look a little more cartoony. You do have like these really cool like, dope shots of like this character, oh, but then nice. in the next page, it's more like that's kind of how everybody looks. Hmm. Okay. Um, and it's really cool. It does set up an an, an interesting premise. It does revolve around. Basically, I'm just gonna kind of cut to the middle so I can start going. Start explaining what's going to happen here. Uh, <laughs> these four people, one of them being Beckstar, um, a lot a while ago they all kind of got their hands on a really dope artifact. She got herself like a a, a dagger. Another person got like the rod of knowledge or the the knowledge rod. Um, and another, another and two, the other two people got like something else. One of them started turning and basically was like, you know, uh, I want all the shit for myself now. And then the dude who got the knowledge rod basically found out. He sent his daughter, or there's a girl that he sent out. He he had to stay behind in order for her to escape. Um, and told and he told her to be like, "Hey, go find my friend Beckstar and ask her to protect you." And this is when we find who Beckstar is, and she's just a drunk badass in space. She, I mean, first first she looks like the mom from Seven Secrets. She's just, and and she yeah, is a badass, and she is a badass. So she's uh, a badass just like in her own right, but she's just like a lot more loose, like not as tame or disciplined as like the mom from seven secrets uh but beckstar is still a badass nonetheless and that's basically what the story is um it, it's pretty much like what the premise set, setup is it's like a, a, this ragtag trying to escape this bad guy who's just sending everything in his arsenal to just like try to get like all of these artifacts um and then it'll slowly start exploring what what's gonna happen from here now again it's just the first issue but still really interesting and again i thought the art was gonna throw me off especially because it's not exactly like the cover um but still it's almost like how it's kind of gritty it fits into like its world of sci-fi so yeah it, it, it's, it's it's cool though 
I really want to get it. Like that was the one I was like, ah, I went to a different shop and everything trying to pick it up, but it's been sold out pretty much everywhere. Oh no shit. Okay. So yeah, that's cool though. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pick it up if I get a shot. No, I'm going to try some other stores this weekend. I think so. Yeah. Cool. All right. We're going to move on to IDW and I have one book from IDW this week and it is a star Wars book. Star Wars, The High Republic Adventures, number four. This is the one, the story with the the Padawans on the field trip with Yoda. Yeah. And uh, so they find out one of the girls they meet, obviously, is senses of the Force, so she gets recruited into the group. But her best friend is left behind, and he feels betrayed. So it's like this whole thing between the two of them. And it's it's about their, their relationship, really. So... The Jedi group is is attacked by a fleet of like fighters, so they have to go out on like. Actually, I I, I don't know if these are they're not X wings, they're not Tie fighters. They're they're a ship I've never seen before. So, but they go out, which means we get to see Yoda dog fighting uh, in a spaceship, which what, is he excellent. Is cool. Yeah, which is cool, but also like I'm one of those people that really didn't like the Yoda fight scenes in the prequel movies. Because oh, I'm like, yeah. that's not Yoda. <laughs> like Yoda doesn't do that. Like Yoda's beyond that. <laughs> like so. But this is also. But this is a long time ago. So I'm five hundred like, years yeah. ago, Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Also, we get buckets of blood again. Buckets of blood is one of my favorite Jedi now. Actually, like, sorry, seven hundred years ago. You said he was around two hundred years here. I don't remember to be honest. I think so, you, remember, okay. you might have thrown that number out. So I think it's that's also seven hundred years ago from Empire. <laughs> but the attack is just a distraction and. It's basically the kids get away to uh, go try to get the friend and everything. So it's all going to come down to the kids, which is interesting. Um, I should go over the creative team real quick before I move on. Uh, written by Daniel uh, Daniel Jose Older. Uh, art by Harvey Talibau. Uh, colors by Rebecca Nolte. And letters by Jake Wood. Um, really cool story. I really enjoyed it. The kids are starting to have personalities and stuff. And, and it's kind of re- reminding me quite a bit of Strange Academy. Um, how the kids are starting to get personalities. I do love that there's only one ship left. It's called a Vector. That's what they're called. Mm. And they're all trying to get out, and so they all cram into one ship, so you get this really cute scene where they're all crammed in together. (laughs) Nice. So It's cute. But the one thing I want to point out to you is um, they're doing some some info pages with stuff like the design of lightsabers. Ah, nice. And so, if you see the hilts here, that yeah. second hilt is so dope. Yeah, it's like a curved curve. leather hilt. Hell yeah, yeah. And I think that is Buckets of Blood's hilt, actually. So Very cool. And then this is one of the main Jedi that they're hanging out with. In case you, you want to see, he looks oh, cool. so badass. Cool yeah, this is really cool. I'm really enjoying it. It's a great companion to the other High Republic uh, storyline. And I will be reading the novel as soon as I can. It's just I have a lot to read lately. So <laughs> yes. But I'm uh, really, really enjoying this. We'll continue to pick it up as long as it keeps going on. Big Star Wars fan. Which, also, quick tangent. I am going to make a trip to Disneyland. I'm sure you saw my Twitter. I post. did. I was thinking about the Marvel world. And I'm like, I haven't even been to Galaxy's Edge or anything like that. And I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go. So maybe sometime later this year, I'll be going to Ooh. Disney World. Maybe I'll record from Disney World. Dude. <laughs> like, I know, I know Crozen wants to go. And... I know a couple other people that might want to go. I'd love to, like, as well. Yeah. Just, Jesus Christ. You're always invited. So <laughs> I know it's expensive, though, and you're coming from further. Than, well, no, actually, you're probably closer, technically. 
<laughs> wait, wait, it's it's in LA, LA, right? It's in Anaheim, I think. Anaheim-ish, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's about we're about even actually. No, I think about it, so. I think you're just slightly closer because it's still just a twelve hour trip just to make it to Salinas. Oh yeah, then probably so. Plus, I'd fly. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm not afraid to throw a little money at a problem. So, <laughs> um, all right. So that's everything for IDW. That brings us to bad idea. Host, we picked up two Ooh. bad idea books this week. I'm on all the bad idea books because it was just an interesting little publisher, new publisher, and I said, like, "Nah, fuck it, why not?" And I've not regretted the three books that came out come out since then. Um, one of them being Eniac Three, which is a flagship uh, book that came out. This one by Matt Kent. Actually, it's a big Matt Kent uh, week. By Matt Kent is a is a writer. Doug Braithwaite, Braithwaite is the artist, and Diego Rodriguez does the coloring. <sighs> so, what big what the fuck happened in this issue? <laughs> oh, and lettering by Dave Sharp. What big what the fuck happened in this issue that ENIAC did that we didn't know about? It opens up in 19, 1986, and basically reveals the whole. Uh, that the deal with the Cold War wasn't against the Russians. It was pretty much that was the, the front. That kind of was the, the the point of it, but it was mostly pretty much um, a fight against ENIAC the whole time. And the last mission to try to get one up over ENIAC was the Reagan Star Wars program, <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to set up a base on the moon to where like at least a place where for sure ENIAC doesn't have any eyes. Like anywhere on this, so we they can just go talk and just make plans out how to kill it. Of course, 1986 launch doesn't go as well as planned, um, yeah. and that's when um, the one who's narrating this is uh, those two spies, those two those two badass spies that are there to kind of go find and kill Eniac. Um, one of them, the the one that's talking, it's it's one of the um, ladies' moms. <laughs> She's been there, basically been there from the beginning. She was the one that kind of designed the shuttle that was supposed to make it to the moon. And everything kind of came down on her when they went through like the wreckage or when she was going through the blueprints, she figured out that there was a piece added, not so much as like um, taken away to why the ship blew up. And something was added that wasn't supposed to be there. And then she deduced that it was basically ENIAC. She, at one point in the process, um, they went through everybody who was working, um, Everybody like everybody's like pretty much on board, and nobody's like really brainwashed from from Eniac yet. And when they were going through like the wreckage, the little piece that was added that was that they knew what happened was nowhere to be found. It basically it didn't. It's not that it came back or it um, eviscerated from like entering orbit. It's up there. That's how Eniac won space, and that's how Eniac is able to get into the satellite business. <laughs> um, so that got fucked. Um, so. That after that revelation, uh, the mom we come back to the present, and the mom's still talking and is like, and gives uh, her daughter one of the spies the virus. It's a little box with a bunch of holes on it, and it's like that that'll do the trick. And as she's doing this, as she's like, yeah, the box is under the bed. You'll find it there. You can go. But I don't think I don't think I want to anymore. And then she starts <laughs> revealing that she might have maybe been a product, or she's definitely the one uh, for sure been one of the ones that got brainwashed through Eniac. And now I'm starting to maybe wonder if maybe this spy has also been a product of a product from ENIAC and it's just going to be one big brainwashing thing because she starts not that she's like the not, not that the spy is like feeling that she wants to like sabotage this whole thing 
but she's not starting to feel right about the whole thing. Like, like there is something else, not just because it's this omnipotent, like uh, sentient AI that's the, uh, wants to just basically um, ruin the world. So they have the virus and they have to uh, assemble a crew and figure out a way how to get to the, the desert where ENIAC is. And they do get a ragtag team, but it's like lose all the, all the electronics. They have to get an old ass ship, um, airship and then just like strip it from every, any kind of radio just to make it there. Just to, just so that they know, at least feel somewhat safe that ENIAC isn't just watching or just being there. And so when they make it there, they're just like running, they're walking through the desert. It just seems like, what the fuck, where are we going? But this will be like the most, the perfect place for ENIAC. It's just uninhabitable, just nothing but sun for like the solar panel so I can run. And then they run into a robot, dude. <laughs> they run into a, like a, it's like, it's like a dinky robot, but still hella much bigger. And the one is about to shoot it when it just like, just chops them in half and they were to kill it. And they find like a hole to go, to get inside. And this is like when like the spy, like the, the spy lady with like, I was talking to her mom was just like, I know we should be doing this, but I don't know if we should like tunnels. She starts, she starts second guessing everything. I want to go down there. A bunch of the tunnels are basically, I don't know how he's doing it. There's no, there's really no cameras that you can see, but there are these tunnels that have like other little tunnels into rooms and everybody starts seeing like their childhood or something, something to trigger them to just start breaking down. And it's like, how is this here? Why is this here? And so they know they're in the right spot. And then it ends with the door to ENIAC saying, welcome, Falk and Fletcher, the spy names, enter cord rope memory here. And it's like the same little type of holes for like, that the box was given to them. So mm-hmm. now they're like, are we supposed to be doing this or not? Like, do we feed it the virus or the thing that we thought was a <laughs> virus or not? And it's like, fuck, the next one should be the last one. Um, and well, it is the last one ever. I've been seeing out of four, but God damn it. This fucking computer has been driving me crazy. <laughs> and then the little backstory that, that we've been getting uh, by Matt Kent, but drawn by David Lapham. This one for sure finally got hella dark, like the stray bullets, dude. Mm-hmm. And it's always had like yeah. the weird twist um, to either make it happy, like a little happier or a little just more like, what the fuck was that about? This one was just dark as hell. This one was a dude who basically found Superman after like the doomsday fight, threw him in his trunk and then d- just started cutting him for parts since like his blood is so valuable. <laughs> and he starts going to like gang members, like, yeah, like mob, mob members, leaders, and then like Lex Luthers and like selling them parts just so that they can like, for their own benefit and at the end you're just like okay here's a twist here's 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 what's gonna come um he just pops up in the trunk and then like the superman thing wakes up and it's just a torso all the limbs are just gone and he's just pleading he's like please help me and then he just like smokes a cigarette closes the trunk and it's like well this is i'm pretty sure this one was more written by david lapham than than it was by matt king because this was just dark and brutal as fuck <laughs> yeah very grim now the next one uh, the third book to come out uh, for Bad Idea, uh, but there's actually a, a standalone book. It's called Whalesville and Rocks and Minerals. It's two stories. Uh, the first one... When you say a standalone, do you mean a one-shot? It's a one-shot, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, the whole thing's written by Matt Kent. Part A is Adam Pol- uh, Polina and Tony Millionaire for the color and uh, artist and the color, sorry. And the second one is Matt Hollingsworth and Jim Campbell for art and color and then the lettering that's what jim campbell does the first one's really adorable it's a lot of these like it has animals that can talk so it's like it's already gonna be a win and they're all inside a whale (laughs) and and that's like their world 
um there's a cool little drama like they're all like little like they're just like um little quips back and forth between like the animals it's a it's a crab like a seagull um an anglerfish that's in a bag but it's on a little like rolling like rc so i can like go around and then um a seahorse and they're just like kind of bopping around and they get a new visitor it's a little boy that's lost and they start having like this like kind of deep, deep conversation on like well this is our world like we figure there's more to it and the boy says like yeah no there is more to it that's that's where i come from but they don't want to believe it because it's just like it's almost like someone tells us like there's more to like from this universe like the, at the cusp of the universe is like something else bigger and it's just like nah they're, they're just not gonna buy it <laughs> um so but in the end like, they do kind of help them to get out they do reference a friend that was once there but made it out the blowhole um i was never seen again so they just like kind of like <laughs> well, it was just sad for them um but they then they end up helping the kid because at one point he does start mentioning like well his dad's looking for him and the a spear a, a hook just like dives in inside the whale and it's like oh shit my dad's here i gotta go before <laughs> like the the before you guys die and the whale die because of the whale's dead and you get a little flashback of how like the the whale basically ends up saving the boy by eating it <laughs> um and obviously like, that's gonna freak out the dad um yeah. but in the end like when like the boy does make it out and like the the dad rescues him he sees him come out he has like a still a spurt of a rage like i'm still gonna get revenge for like eating my kid but like the boy stops him it's like a little happy ending but still like all like it makes you think of like the animals that are just like stuck inside or just like having like their own little like world in it was just like weird and different and just like adorable hmm. now, speaking of weird different and adorable is the second story rocks okay. and minerals. <laughs> uh, this one is all about sentient rocks and minerals. And there's like a weird hierarchy on like, if you're just like rubble and like little pebbles, you're just like kind of like nothing. And there's like the diamond lady is like, like the queen of it all. There's just like one reference that it might've been because like the bombs went up and why, and maybe how like just rocks became alive. Um, but this story is about how this one little pebble, this one little rock that just went out further into, because like they call it the polished section, and the unpolished sections where they're not allowed to go. And so when it, when he went over there, um, he found a turtle. Well, the, he he thinks he found a, he finds a rock, but inside is a turtle. And they go to help it, but when they take it back to like the queen, she's like, "Oh no, get rid of it. We got to kill it." And it just becomes a like, whole like moral lesson. It's like appreciate life, especially like for what it is now we can all grow um but yeah it was just so weird <laughs> uh it was definitely was not a, not what i was expecting because this is the cover i showed you right big mm-hmm. whale little boy and the back is like the rock so i was just like what the <laughs> hell <laughs> uh but that's bad this idea. is definitely different than everything i've heard about from big I- a bad idea so far oh totally the most tame the most like prettiest at least like calmer grounded stories than like let's uh <laughs> what was it tankers yeah and tankers was the other book where it's like let's change time so dinosaurs can live longer and have more fossil fuels for the for our future it was so stupid but it's still it's still very fun but this one was just very heartfelt very nice nice yeah it's the first one that's tempted me because i was letting you do the bad idea thing because we can't buy everything obviously right but this one i'm kind of wanting to pick up for my own collection so. and it's a one shot definitely worth the for the collection nice awesome all right, we're going to move on to another publisher. Um, this is going to be Scout Comics, but their sub-publisher, Black Caravan, which we featured once on the show before. Yes. Um, I have one book, and it's called Broken Souls Ballad. 
And oh, that looks cool. Uh, you'll notice, first of all, it's it's a very flat cover. There's not a sheen to it, really. You yeah. notice that? And you can kind of tell the coloring. And if you look at the font of the title, this is very 80s. Yes. Incredibly 80s. Uh, the dark side of 80s. And you've got to, like, I don't know if you looked at the cover before, but you see that? Yeah. That's okay. what I'm by it. It looks really cool. It's twisted as hell. So, uh, written by Massimo Rossi, illustrated by Ludovica. Oh my gosh, the font is so hard to read. <laughs> uh, Ser- Serigati? Serigati, yeah. Um, also, uh, and they do everything. Okay, cool. No more names to worry about. <laughs> okay, so. Um, I don't know how to tell you what this is about. Um, it's, it's very dark. Okay. How about this? This isn't a perfect comparison. And if anyone's listening, I don't want you to think I'm saying this is this, but I'm not saying that, but stranger things. Okay. But much grimmer and much darker, significantly grimmer and darker. (laughs) Like, Stranger Things by way of I Walk With Monsters. Damn. Is what I'll say. So I get you. Basically, there's these young boys, and it's set in 1986 in Boston. And something happened to these kids, and a lot of it's a mystery at this point. But I believe they were sent to the same psychiatric hospital at some point. And something happened to them to the point where when they lose control, other animal parts start growing on them. Ooh. And you can see on the cover, it's literally a dog's head growing on his head. Yeah. And so that happens to this kid when his either father or stepfather is abusing him. And the dog takes over and kills him. Okay. Kills the dad. So you're like, oh, that's grim as hell. And then we get brief flashes into like the psychiatric hospital apparently where they were where they're all lined up against a wall with animals drawn Jeez. on paper bags over their heads yeah and it's like they identify them by their smell and stuff it's really interesting well it cuts away from that kid and doesn't come back to him and it goes to some other kids and one of them is getting bullied and his friend loses control and starts like dripping acid almost like a jellyfish Ooh, okay and like burns one of the kids that was attacking them. And he's like, I don't know what's going on and all this. And there's just like this really grimness to it. And, um, yeah, it's just like, it's going to be really grim is what I'll tell you. And it's really interesting. I mean, like if you like body horror stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like the dog at one point, the dog, they go back to the dog at the end and he's like, uh, like, uh, like a secret agent type shows up and he's like, I'm gonna take you back where they can heal you. And the dog speaks and says, heal me. Oh, but the boy does not want to be healed. The boy just wants to eat. And then he just chomps down on the agent. Like, Oh shit. Cool. It's re- it's really weird and grim and I'm really digging it. Um, but it's, it is really grim, <laughs> like grim and violent, but it, but it is following a group of kids, which kind of gives it the stranger things vibe. Plus it's in the eighties. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, and they're really committed to the '80s part of it, and it is pretty much set in Boston. So um, that's everything I saw. But yeah, uh, if that sounds like something that is up your alley, then I highly recommend it. It's a well done 
token of that genre, I would say. Hmm. So, yeah, really cool. So, definitely something Josue would like is what I would say. <laughs> so, uh, moving on. We have so many books for this publisher, which is hilarious because we never do. Uh, but <laughs> let's talk about Dark Horse. Yes. We have five books for Dark Horse this week. And Josue, I would like you to start with Fear Case. Oh, man. Fear Case number four. Is this the finale? It is a finale. Yeah, a finale. I was say. And, uh, and the third, I think, final book of mine. That's, uh, yeah, my, by Matt Kent. So yeah, I guess appropriate. We start here after where I left off, and then by the Jenkins, uh, Tyler and Hillary Jenkins does the art and coloring. Man, what a fucking ending! <laughs> uh, it's not the, shit. It just sucks when just like so. We left off where like the one or the two partners. They it was like their last day to figure out the case, and then they had literally just lost it, and it ended with uh, the one who was starting to believe in the conspiracy. Um, he found the kid who was who stole it, and then the, but he found it because the kid found him instead and just said, "Here, just just fucking take it." And so, yeah, we don't even know what the fuck happens to him because it opens with um, the kid being like being interrogated by the partner, the older one, and and then he they, they we pretty much get uh, told that the partner died, like they they found him out in the desert with nothing but a gun. And it's like a and in a weird imagery of like a alien just like off the bat it's like how, it's like the beginning no explanation to it it has there's no setup to it excuse me it's just like maybe what happened to him back oh out there but anyway the partner's dead and it's just all on him it's just on the like the, the I just call it for like the 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 mustache partner the older one and he's just not having a good time because it's just like. <laughs> well, not not that he lost, but he literally just lost the case, lost his partner, is losing his goddamn fucking mind. Because after interrogating him and like they gave him a little the bit of like the news, he gets in his car and what's in his back seat, but the fucking fear case. <laughs> um, oh. and it's like he knows what he needs to do. Like at least he knows what he, like what he should do. And at the very least, he's just gonna go home and just take a just take a breather. But of course, it's almost like everybody knew, and the forensics are there. Like, it, like the, his whole like uh, like the PD is just there at his house, and they take the case from him, and just so they can study it, and like well, you know you have nothing to worry about, and like we have it again. We'll almost like hit, we'll hit the reset button with the, with the new um, set of partners to figure it out. <laughs> ah, man. But then we get into it. We get into it on. The, the people who took the case, like the scientists, and they open it. And it's just like, we get this imagery on all hell breaking loose. It's not exactly what exactly happened in the room. The con- It's not the, exactly the contents inside the fear case, but almost like of a what's to come, if you will, or it's every single bad thing that the world has ever been and will be. There's just imagery of lynching of just the worst party political parties you could ever imagine into just everything everything keeps watching this i won't really say much much more details and then the next page is just all the scientists and everybody in the room that just watched its contents just mm-hmm. be dead so we don't know exactly what exactly happened just ex- for or what it is that they saw to lead them to be dead and then we figured out or at least we go come back to the partner and it's just like 
this thing is supposed to be going from the person you love the most or the person you hate the most. Uh, and that's, that's how it goes back and forth. These people took it from me. So who knows why it triggered even probably worse for them or why it wasn't exactly how it, suppo- how it was supposed to be. And as you get to the last page, but if I had the case now, I know exactly what I'd do with it. I'd travel the world and find the worst human beings on earth and I'd show them what's inside. And it kind of le- gets left off ambiguous, like, or at least like, it'd be like an open ending. But one of the last panels that you see is just this other case that he's not really paying much of attention to. He's just more like accepting that it's there. And maybe that's, this is his new goal in life. Cause it, it almost, it does play by the rules of like, almost like it follows. Like you do have to give it to the one you either hate the most or goes to the one you love the most. And when it, when it's done there, I think it just starts backtracing to the last person. I think he's just going to be locked with it for all of his time and just running it that way instead. Cause they took something that was dear to him. He, he kind of almost like figured out that his partner, why his partner was getting a little too obsessed with it. And it was because like it didn't go to the one that he hated the most. It, it was about it, for him. He, I think his partner didn't have anybody and it was about to go to the person he loved the most. And it was just, well, his partner. So fuck it's just like I, I didn't know where the story was going or if we were going to see like what was the fear case or its origins or stuff or stuff like that but damn this ending was just was just like so sweet <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah i was curious how that was going to end because mm-hmm. i've been following along as you review so <laughs> <laughs> all right you have another book uh jenny zero this is number one right yes jenny zero much hype <laughs> i've been waiting to hear about this so and i really got this because i've just been loving um ultra mega yeah, and it's very much in yeah. Let's let's bu- punch a bunch of kaiju's and a bunch of kaiju's fighting around. <laughs> Only instead of just like Ultra Mega being like these like weird little prodigies or this little resistance group to just fight back. No, this one is more about Jenny Zero, and Jenny Zero is the daughter of super super dope and old hero. It's like Commander. What is it? Was his name Commander something Zero? Yeah, Mega Commander Zero. So they call her Jenny Zero. Why? Because she was she was supposed to be the the prodigal daughter to just take over and just be the next hero. Only her powers never manifested um, to just to be able to fight back. What she what she can do is that like scientists like give her this like cool i don't want to say gun or almost like it's like it's a part of a kaiju and it can adapt to her arm and become like this giant cannon and she fights that way too she is a badass fighter but she just never got to have that extra gene i guess like if you call it the x gene to make her like trigger to like super powerful like her dad and so (laughs) she's basically just been a fuck up her whole whole life and she just like just she just runs like her whole day is just like getting drunk and running her best friend's tab because like her friend is like super rich, and at the very least, her not taking advantage of her. Her friend is just like is at the very least taking care of her to an extent, just as as long <laughs> as she's not getting into that much trouble. Uh, but but she does want her to at least pursue like like her um, to do something better with her life, you know, than just like be this only. And then like of course like but we get it's about kaiju's. So a big ass kaiju shows up. She's giving her she's giving her her armor uh, to start fighting. And then at the end, um, it's just not going her way. And the people who are supposed to help her, because like, a, a squid kaiju came in and swoops her, catches up in the air. And like the 
the special force people that are there to help her out took a shot at the at the monster that was carrying her away. And at that height, it was for sure going to kill her. And it was almost like maybe this was done on purpose because at the end, she triggers giant size and is like her a kaiju and her, like herself. So I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck? Hell yes!" Yeah. So the story is just starting out, and this Jenny Zero is about to be a fucking hell of a hero. <laughs> Nice. It's really fun. It's like it's hella just like it's, it's way 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 more mature with like the dialogue. It's like obviously he's just getting drunk almost like for like the ha- half of the issue. Um, but yeah, it's just ka- kaiju fun, especially nice. when you, when you get that arm when when that stuff when the um, when she gets like that body armor when like that gun almost like she calls it Nemo. It is it almost does look like a fish, um, but it just like adapts to herself. Like you see her like right there. Yeah, it just gets on her like and just gets really cool. Nice. Yeah, Dark Horse has been doing a lot of good things lately. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to my one solo Dark Horse book, The Orville. Oh, Digressions nice. number one. This caught me by surprise. I didn't even know it was coming out. It wasn't on Comic Geeks or anything like that. But my store literally knows if an Orville book comes out, they should hold it for me. So <laughs> uh, I literally picked up my box. I'm like, what's this? <laughs> so um, sc- uh, obviously created by Seth MacFarlane. And man, I can't wait for this show to be back. Uh, but they're being they're one of the ones that are being very careful about starting up after covid they're okay. they don't want to start up until it's safe which I is see. cool and seth MacFarlane doesn't get enough credit for stuff like that by the mm-hmm. way um so written by david a goodman drawn by david cabeza and colored by michael atea with lettering by richard starkings and jimmy betancourt um did you watch the orville no okay first of all you need to. It's one of the best <laughs> Star Trek shows. I have heard that. It, it is the best Star Trek show. I oh, don't care damn. what anyone says. It's my favorite Star Trek show. <laughs> and it's not Star Trek. Um, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. And it's also the most emotional one. Like, there's legit moments where I tear up watching that show. <laughs> like, I get really upset. Like, there's a whole episode where one of the guys... And one of the cool things is when I describe a plot, usually it sounds like a Star Trek plot because they openly blatantly rip off star trek plots okay but just do it with their own characters in a really unique way so they find a time capsule and uh in this episode i'm gonna rant about the orville for a moment Go for uh, it. They, they, find, they, they find a time capsule and in it is a girl put her old cell phone because she got a new cell phone she's like i'll just put my old cell phone well they find a way to power it up mm-hmm. and they're like holy crap this is her whole life there's photos there's videos there's emails there's text everything and they're trying, there's some jokes where they're just like, you know, um, trying to figure out what she means. Like she says WTF and they're like, <laughs> it's like, they think it's like abbreviation for a place to repair her telephone and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> it's funny, but um, one of the characters gets fascinated by this and he decides to plug all the information into the computer and see if their holodeck can recreate this girl like by everything in the, the phone knows and it does it recreates oh. her whole personality and he's like this is amazing and then he goes and gets to know her and he falls in love with her oh no and she died thousands of years ago yeah and it's just a really sad episode and <laughs> the music is really good it's like oh my god i love the show so anyways <laughs> in season two the, another major star trek trope is alternate universes oh yeah uh so Basically, they accidentally bring the first officer forward in time and send her back after erasing her memory, but it didn't take. And she changes things, and it completely changes reality Hmm. for the much worse. And everything is like their whole union's destroyed, and bad guys are killing everybody. And it's a really cool, like, 
kind of post-apocalyptic like Star Trek thing. Um, so this is called Digressions, part one of two. And this is what happened after she was sent back with her memory that led to the world being different. And there's only going to be two issues to it. So basically, we follow her life as things are different. And the main thing was, instead of falling in love with the man she loved, getting married, getting bored, cheating on him, and divorcing him, she just decided to save them both the pain and never dated him again, only had one date with him. Oh, shit. And that's what changed all of reality for all of humanity. Oh, what the fuck? Because he's the captain. It's yeah, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. And so his whole purpose of doing this, and the only reason he got this position is because she put in a good word for him, because she felt guilty, and it goes back to this whole thing. And if he wasn't on the Orville, certain things happen. Oh, it's, right. Big, it's yeah. Re- it's really, really interesting. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I fucking love the Orville. It's so good. <laughs> like, I honestly think you would really like it, too. Like, um, the Klingon race, the quote Klingon race them. Oh, wow. It's exactly like. <laughs> they're, they're pretty much all men. Okay. That's the whole bit. And they're all gay. Oh, okay. Because they're all men, and they 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 have eggs, oh. and they're the size of bean bags, basically. And there's a bit with this dude sitting naked on the egg, t- someone talking to him while he's trying to hatch it. <laughs> so it's just it's wonderful, and uh, it's just such a great story. But it's only two seasons, so I, I highly recommend if you guys if you and your girl get bored, you might actually like it. I think you will. Um, and yeah, there's one episode that makes me cry my eyes out that I want to even talk about. They use Billy Joel. It's not fair. So, <laughs> so yeah, but the Orville Digressions Part 1 2, if you're a fan of the show, this is this of all the stories they told, I think this is the most must pick up. Ooh, nice. Because it does tie directly into something that happens in the show mm-hmm. and something that is really cool and like yeah, plus it brings back one of the fan favorite characters, um someone who left the series midway through season 2. Okay. Uh, and was replaced, but they bring her back in comic form because it would only make sense to have her there. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was really cool. I enjoyed it. So, uh, now we have two more dark horse books and, uh, did you have beast of burden? No. Oh, I thought you didn't. Never mind. Okay, good. Beast of burden. Number two, this is the one I told you about with the talking dogs. Oh, okay. And that are like secret agents. Yeah. And, uh, so the, the big Welsh puppy, uh, who looks like this and is excellent. <laughs> um, apparently knows magic and is throwing around fire spells to That's burn awesome. disembodied zombie heads that are trying to kill them. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, this is amazing. That's awesome. So uh, basically he goes on a quest with this little scrapper dog who has no idea what they're doing. And he, uh, they're surrounded by these the the heads at one point. You can see here. And the dog is like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he casts a fire spell that does a complete circle around them. But it knocks him out. So the little dog, who has no idea what he's doing, sees one last zombie head coming and has to defend the dog and does. It's so cute. It's just adorable. I love this. I love the story. But the cool thing about this is they're going through. I I cannot remember exactly where they are. I wish I remembered from the first episode, from first issue. They're in. Japan, I want to say. Okay. And so they're trying to track down these zombies, but they keep encou- having random encounters. And it's like a D&D campaign where, you ha- where you're going through the forest and you have a random encounter that's not necessarily a fight. You know? Okay. Yeah. So, like, they stumble upon, like, two dogs that look exactly like him talking. Oh, and then shit. they transform into the other dog. Ooh. And then they transform into raccoons 
And then they're like, they basically say, uh, you don't know what we are, do you? Uh, basically, you should go home. It's a bad time to travel. Go home. Go back to what you know, and they leave. That was it. That's the whole encounter. Oh, and you're yeah. like, what the fuck? And then later on, we run into, and you're going to fucking love this. I'm just going to warn you. Run into this lady who's eating human <sighs> flesh. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she, I think she is the bad guy. He tries to take a shot at her. She runs away. And then we run into other monsters like later on after the encounter with the Circle of Skulls, where it's like, I believe this is a Kappa, if I remember correctly. That's why I think it's Japanese. It's like a turtle okay. person. Yeah. And then some crows that are yelling at them, a fox that's talking to them. With like, Nightshell Fox? Yeah, it's a Nightshell Fox. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just really cool. Like, it's just been a lot of fun. Like, I'm really, really enjoying this. It's really cool now. Yeah. The second yeah. issue in. Second issue, yeah. Beasts of Burden, Occupied Territory. It is a not the first story with these characters. This is more of like a side story. So, okay. Uh, but written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer. Um, and art by Benjamin Dewey. Letters by Nate Pecos from Blambot. Um, but yeah, it's really, really cool. Uh, the story was created by Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson, who's not in this book. But yeah, mm. so really, really cool. I'm really enjoying it. Um, worth a pickup. Especially since we're really into stray dogs right now, it's it's yeah. it's really fun companion piece to stray dogs because talking animals, grim story, it's <laughs> excellent. So uh, that leads us to our shared dark horse book. And when I reviewed issue two of this, you didn't have it. Yeah, no. Oh my god this this week was a huge week for me because I ha- I picked up. I mean everything we were talking about, but I had to catch up on five. Or six books I didn't catch up on that other episode where I didn't get everything I, mm-hmm. I could. That episode caught up to me in this one. The, it ha- I had to p- reread. I had to read last time's uh, Dead Dogs Bite, and we'll talk about the other ones later. Uh, yeah. But it's going to be yeah, Noctera, Dead Beyond, and then the two DC books that I got. So it's five books I have to like also add to. <laughs> so we are going to talk about Dead Dogs Bite number three by Tyler Boss. Um, so you read issue two, then you caught up. Yes. More and more, and I, I, before I even say this, I know Tyler, the creator of this book, is probably sick of people saying this, <laughs> and I apologize. But I'm just a humble critic, and all I can say is, no comic has ever reminded me of Twin Peaks as much as this book. Yeah, it's a fucking trip. There's something wrong in this town, and you don't <laughs> know what. <laughs> and that's and it's great. It's excellent. I don't hate it in the least. It's you just, can't explain why, but just fuck. <laughs> just everything's a little off. And the narrator is an amazing character. <laughs> like, my favorite bit is at the very beginning where he's leaving the theater and he just drops the biggest thing of popcorn on, on the, the ground floor, and walks yeah. off. <laughs> just like, fuck it. Like, it's so great. Um, I love the design and the layouts. Yes. I love that most pages are nine panels. Three, three, three. Yeah. And it leads to a lot of really humorous jokes, especially like I, I told you last time in issue two, where she had the conversations with like the 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 secretary at the mayor's office and everybody. Right. It's just these ridiculous conversations. You're like, what's wrong with these people? It happens again here where she's talking to the guy from the library. Yeah. Where she's just like, you know, asking him questions and he's answering as little as possible. But it seems like innocently, like it's just like. That's ridiculous. Like but it's, it's almost like, so he's cool. like he just has like a like a blank slate of information. So it's like it goes to like the next possible an- 
answer that he can. And so it becomes like this weird, vague circle. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with this? Yeah, it's like talking to a robot. Yeah. They take everything you ask literally and don't provide any context that you don't ask for. Like, and it's just like, okay. Um, and it's just really cool. She's still looking into this, like, these disappearances. And then we get the really cool climactic moment at the end where she runs into the newspaper editor. Yeah. And just that moment of where he's like, she's like, you know, she's like, oh, can I look at this specific issue? He goes, oh, yeah, that was a Tuesday. And he goes and looks and he looks and he goes, hmm, and then looks back at her. That was so cool. Like, that was a horror movie moment for me. I was like, it was almost like uh, like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo moment where you realize who the bad guy is. You're like, fuck. (laughs) From from then on, from that exact panel, when he looks back, his face just starts getting this, like, weird shadow over himself. You never see his full face after that. Yeah, like, you get the part when it starts getting really creepy and, like, the pot starts going and you just, like, you just see, like, the pupils over, like, the, the blank black part of his eyes and just like fuck what is it with this town or these people it's so good i really really enjoyed this book yeah no me so, too absolutely great yeah uh, i can't wait to see what happens <laughs> <laughs> so all right that wraps us up with dark horse we're moving on to image um we have several image books this week and hopefully he's going to start with inkblot eight inkblot eight uh, okay, cool. Oh, yeah. And Inkblot was the other one I had to read. So it was like a huge oh, week gotcha. for me of also <laughs> catching up on stuff. Uh, but I'm just going to talk about Inkblot 8. Oh, God. So the Seeker, the librarian's sister out of like the whole big-ass family of like magicians and warriors and mages and warlocks and goddesses and everything you can think of. She's one of the elder, uh, eldest childs, and her job is just to jot everything down that everybody's done or read whatever everybody's done and then start jotting down what her siblings have been doing all the great accomplishments so now she's gonna go visit one of her sisters who is like this super revered goddess one of the goddesses she fought like the 600 year war uh and because she won her subjects now worship her not really that she just like makes them so she's gonna go visit her who also ends up visiting the other sister, Vika, who is the ruler of the free giants. And these are just two very, very different sisters. You have her sweet mm-hmm. and she's, she's younger than the seeker one. And then the other one is just like this barbaric, awesome, badass. Nice. So they start getting into it because they kind of, they do sh- well. They live in the same dimension and the, the goddess one, uh, uh yeah, the goddess one starts telling her, like, hey, your giants are eating my people, and you have to tell them to fucking stop. To which Vika's like, well, they're free giants. They can do whatever they want. I wouldn't be their ruler if I would just start telling them what to do, unlike right. some people. <laughs> and, then the, and then so they're just, they're just like going back and forth, bickering. And then the seeker, uh, our protagonist, she's just like, you know what? She does have a point. It's very hard to change the nature of a magical creature, like this cat, for instance. And they're just like, you're not about to compare your, like, our bullshit to your cat problems, right? <laughs> so they would start going back back at it again. The cat um, tips over this magical candle, and it just like becomes like this. Everybody starts to um, get engulfed in fire, more so Vika, to where she thinks it's an attack from the sister, and they start having this huge badass battle. Um, yeah, like you can start seeing like where like this family is is really important, and why they're actually there's like rulers of these like 
type of people um, than they're just being like whatever about their power. Um, yeah, they're just having like, a big climactic battle, and the cat's starting to freak out, and she's trying to like the the seeker. She's trying to tell him like, "Yo, maybe chill out." The cat, and again, everybody's like undermining what it means, like what this cat <laughs> really means. Um, so there was gonna be like, a kill, there was gonna be a kill shot, and there's almost like a gust of wind wraps up, and it sucks up the cat, and. At the at the point of this um, this explosion where, where the cow was, that's what kind of like where both sisters like take a brutal hit because uh, they were just like too close to the impact, and then they're, they're looking around and the cat is nowhere to be seen. Of course, uh, yeah. So like the secret thinks like it's dead, and like there was a fourth sister that was just there that she was just basically like, "This is exactly what I want to avoid." She says that over and over just as they started a fight, <laughs> but she's just like, "Sorry, I'll get you another one," <laughs> even though she doesn't know like the gravity situation here or how important this cat is. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably get a random story because like like the first three issues had like nothing to do with his family. It was like a cat out and about when it was like time traveling. So we'll probably go back to those random adventures before we come back to the to the family. But yeah, ink blot. It's it's fun. It's cute. <laughs> nice. What about uh? Here, let's alternate here. I'll do Commanders in Crisis number eight. Ooh, nice. Okay. Uh, so I got this cool cover. So sick. She looks these, these awesome. People, man. Mm-hmm. They're great. Uh, so number eight, written by Steve Orlando and L.A. Eternal, uh, art by David Tinto, and um, let's see, coloring by Francesca Caratino, Caratinuto. There we go, and lettering by Fabio Amelia. Uh, so once again, it's it's about our former commanders and chiefs. And they're trying to convince the world that they're, that, you know, what happened is real. Um, so this takes place in two parts, really. Uh, one is my boy prize fighter, who I love is off on a mission with a new character that they just met called American dreamer. And, um, American dreamer is actually from this planet and this is a reality. So they're trying to be like, Hey, this is our world. If someone's going to save it, we need to. And then, meanwhile, the main leader of them is off. Basically, once again, in this world, empathy was killed. And the whole point of this is that all these different drives, all these little sparks that humanity have are actually gods. And with empathy dead, empathy's gone. And she's trying to find a a loophole around this, trying to find a way to reintroduce something similar to empathy. And there's a really cool moment where they're showing, they kind of open up with some, some cavemen, some like, Homo yeah. erectus, basically. Mm-hmm. And when they finally discover how to make fire, and she's like, you know, she's like trying to figure out, like, basically the, the chick she's speaking with, which is Thunder Woman, who's like, you know, Thunder. She's just like, this is the moment uh, it fires first spark when one of my kind descended to your world. And she's like, oh, I don't see one of your kind. And she flips the lens, and she gets this. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, and then it has one of my favorite lines, probably my favorite line of the week, actually, where she's like, is that? And then Thunder Woman says, yes, civilization was always always was the pretty one, the most eager and the most tragic. First to ground, faded to never be fully embraced. Wow. And if, if that doesn't say so much about our society, that oh, yeah. we found civilization first. But we never, we've never fully embraced civilization, and I think that's really sad. Like, <laughs> it's so good, dude. But yeah, basically, she's trying to find a way around it. It's a really cool story, and in the end, after like three issues apart, she shows back up with the rest of them, and 
like has this awesome new tuning fork and she's like let's save the world basically <laughs> um also in this uh sawbones the the mexican american guy uh he cooks them all dinner and it's delicious so <laughs> i just nice. had to point that out you guys know i love me some food so yeah i couldn't see what it was it was a soup of some kind so i'm thinking maybe some pozole or something mm. <laughs> like, that'd be delicious it was like an old family recipe so yeah yeah excited about that so good stuff and then next Josue, let's kick you over to uh, kick over to you for the good asian number one the good asian number one. Oh man where's the creative team for this one it's gonna kill me because it is a, it's I'm, I'm glad it's like a, it's like a whole household for uh, of asian creators it's uh Pornstock, Pishode, Alexandra Tefinki, Lee uh, Lofridge, and then Jeff Powell for writer, artist, colorist, and then lettering. So The Good Asian is a, is a pretty heavy book. Very much, well, not, not excluding the powers, but very much uh, a lot closer to like how home was. With a lot of like uh, social commentary mm-hmm. um, and a lot of like American facts here. The Good Asian is centered around the mid 1930s, 1936. Oof, yeah, and it's centered around what's the, what's his name? Hark. I'm trying oh. to get his first name, like Edison Hark, okay. and in this story, he's the first Asian to actually be welcomed, or at least be employed by the Californian San Francisco PD police department so across the way like uh, a lot of lines where he has to like like he, he i mean it, it starts elaborating he is a good detective a great detective it opens up where he was kind of like already in one of those in between places to see if they're going to be able to get into like the country or not they figured out that he's just like connected from like a friend of a friend as he's having like a moment with a kid who was sent there by his by their parents who like they stayed back in China and he was just like, and he was sent there to be, to get the better life. And, but he's like in the waiting process and he's, he's having this conversation. That's when they said, Hey, Edison Hark, you're free to go since you're connected, you know? And it was just like, it starts playing with the story of like, he's has to tiptoe the line of like hypocrisy. Of, like he is there for his people. One that like got in on the in with these other people, just so he can almost like protect them in their own way. In his way, uh, just like to be on that side of the law. Um, you get his backstory that he was raised. It, he himself was, was raised by like a white family. So he does have that connection, at least like why he was, everything is kind of lenient towards like around his life. But at the very least, he does see like the bullshit and like how like as soon as he turns away, he's just, they're just going to make fun of him or talk about him in any other way. Um but it's just like but it's the tip, the line that he tiptoes is like when he's still on the job and when he's doing like the rounds around like his community, it's just like, what, what should he really say? How should, he, where should he, should he really out? Like there's, there's one like uh, scenario. How should, how should he really out? Not just the whole family, but maybe just as, if they just take the hit with one person going away, granted the person was a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of them all going away, literally, maybe I can just like bend it here while like the white cop like is here and he just like finagles in. It's like only one person gets taken away again, like the piece of shit person anyway. Uh, but yeah, he tips that line where it's just like, yeah, he's there to behind the law so he can help his people. But it's just like, fuck, like 
sometimes he has to take the hit like like by his by his people and it's just like this sucks um but because again it opens up with like a great like not great but just like a reminder of how american society was even from way back when in 1982 the U, uh, the u.s passed a ban on chinese immigrants um blaming for the 1874 depression in 1924 johnson reed the, the johnson reed expanded on the ban of, to include asians and arabs by 1936 over half a country after the original uh, century ban, the Chinese was the first generation to become of age under the immigration ban. So it starts really getting to like all the, so- the social commentary, the social like political like views about the history, especially since we're getting it's been around, but we've been getting like a rise on Asian American hate, and just this book is just going to really speak a lot of volumes, literally. And then at the end, you just get like because he is a detective, he you start getting into a case and you get into like this weird seven vibes of a crime scene. And you're just like, wait, what the fuck? And yeah, it's going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm here for like the mystery and the, the, the detective work, but damn, it's also going to be very heavy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I wanted to pick it up, but again, can't pick up everything. And I was like, you know, I think I'll will get that. So yeah. Nice. Now let's wrap up image with three books. Um, let's start with Noctera three. Uh, so you missed out on two when we originally reviewed it. Um, so you got to see Blacktop Bill in all his glory this time <laughs> and how yeah. fucking creepy he is. I think this book is really helped by having a cool villain. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. So uh, real quick, we'll run down the creative team. Uh, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel, colors by Tomi Mori, and letter by And World. Um, we keep getting these, you know, flashbacks to the, the before times pretty much every issue we're getting them where we see you know what happened to our main character prior to everything happening and um in this one we get to see the what happened to the parents because they kind of hinted at it and they kind of told us they were infected but we didn't know that her and her brother had the parents you know locked up in the basement and shit yeah so it's pretty grim so um so they're getting chased by Blacktop Bill, the bad guy. And in the end, the old man has to sacrifice himself. Or does he? Uh, <laughs> so um, it's, it's just really, really cool. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm definitely I'm, I'm, I'm on this book, at least through the first arc. That was that was the commitment I made. Because, you know, something sometimes things take, you know, good six issues to really pick up you know right uh, i am enjoying it i think this is the best issue yet that uh, was what i'll say i'm really digging that um blacktop bill is a really like ominous villain like <laughs> he's just complete blackness with a smile <laughs> like it's creepy and i do like um, the helmets that his lackeys wear yeah yeah and i really like i mean like i like a lot of the design of like costumes and stuff i love the main character's helmet with the the circle light and stuff like that like um i actually got a variant i got the simon kudransky variant so oh, cool yeah but yeah what'd you think uh catching up especially you know uh no it's so it's fun i was just again it's not so much like i'm against the art it's like it, it is cool i just wish that the premise might have been worded a little different than like everything went black because again they're on the road and everything is just pretty well lit you can see down the yeah. tree line when I feel, I feel like it should just be way more ominous, kind of like how Blacktop Bill is, but then you really wouldn't tell where he is or what he is. He wouldn't be able to come into shape. 
I get that. But I, th- I think it, that's a practicality of storytelling. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, them kind of putting it as like, it all went black. It was just like, well, I can still see. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, but um, what I am fucking excited for is that preview in the back for Cain and Abel looks <laughs> so sick. <laughs> yeah. Like this looks like a black mass book. It looks like space writers with the, that I have been reading. And it's like, I can't wait for this to come out. Cause it, it says 72 mm-hmm. pages. I, I want this so bad. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I'm really, I'm really digging it. Um, it's cool. I like the, it's Scott Snyder, you know, it, yeah. in the end it's Scott Snyder. So. so I'm pretty sure he's saving like a good, what the fuck for like the, and, and the, for the sixth issue. And then like, well, I got to stay for the next star for the next, for the second half, which I am. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just like, I mean, th- literally this is, this is how, uh, what's it started for me? The undiscovered country. Remember? Oh Yeah. Which I was kind of like, I don't know if I like this, and now I love it. <laughs> so that's why I'm kind of like, yeah, it's probably going to be more of the same, isn't it? Where I'm just like, I don't know, and then I'm going to love it. So. And that's why I'm waiting for um, the wake. That was it was really good. Like, it feels very the thing at first, and then yeah. the, it, it, the first half ends, and you're just like, wait, what? And the second yeah. half is just something completely else, and it's really good. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking too. So, uh, real quick sidetracked. You mentioned Black Mask. Yeah. Uh I caved. I ordered all three Destiny New York volumes. <laughs> so, oh, nice. So yeah. And I've been seeing them posting that it's like, oh I'm shipping so many out now. I think there's a fourth one, but it's supposed to be like short like stories and stuff like that. It just got kickstarted. Oh, okay. Oh man. So I just missed kickstarting it, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so but I don't want them to now. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but well I had to pay pretty near full price for him so, okay. <laughs> so but i was like you know what? i just need to know what happens at this point so all right but that's a different publisher we're still talking about image we're gonna move on to deep beyond number four uh created and everything done by murka and Dovel, david goy andrea barcardo and barbara nocenso um so once again this is another story you had to catch up on back in issue yeah but i reviewed at the time um, you can see how our cast has quickly been whittled down. Ooh, baby, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think this issue was the standout issue for me. Yeah, this one for sure. Because we're finally getting an idea of what we're dealing with. Like th- it went from like, oh, it's kind of an aquatic post-apocalyptic world. Okay. Yeah. To oh, is this going to be Pacific Rim? <laughs> like, <laughs> is there a portal in the middle of the ocean? oh shit this is bad you know like that kind of thing like and we we start to see like we start to see some some otherworldly creatures and stuff like that which is really really cool um how this ties into the infection and everything we'll see maybe it's something that came over i love the idea that it was all caused by the y2k bug oh i know right so i like the idea that deep down in the ocean we have this secret laboratory that's run on these pre-y2k computers and they didn't get updated, and they ver- therefore crashed, and that was the only thing keeping this in control. That's my theory, mm-hmm. is that was the only thing keeping whatever the virus is that's destroying everything on that side. And once the once they crashed, then it was able to cross over to the portal. So, um, yeah, but oh, it's so good. I'm really, really, actually, this one's growing on me. So, <laughs> uh, I also I, got the Merca and Dolpho cover for this one, too. So. Oh, and I, it, was, it was actually, I really like how that one's placed in the issue. How it gets left was like, oh, they're going through the portal. And then it's almost like the POV of going through her going through the portal. I kind of like how that's placed. Yeah. But it being the variance, it's, it's, it's really cool. I should probably look out for yeah. it. 
I do like when covers are in the story. Like mm-hmm. that's cool. <laughs> so now is this supposed to be like it's supposed to be the Bermuda Triangle is where the portal is? I don't think so. Did they okay. say? Did they say? They that? never actually say, but it's just like it's such a perfect triangle in the middle of the water, uh, underwater. Um, it just mm-hmm. makes me wonder. I thought it was much deeper, like in the middle of the ocean, is what I get. Okay, but I might be wrong. So, I also in my head it was in the Atlantic up north because I, I can't remember what city they came out of, but in my head it was New York. That probably makes sense. Yeah. So, but yeah, because everything's New York in my head. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm really enjoying it. I can't wait. Uh, again, it's a fourth issue, so we're getting close to the end of the first arc. Yeah, not a ton to go into. But last image book, and boy howdy. <laughs> Let me tell you, another triumphant return of one of our favorite books, die number 16. Hoy, Jesus. Uh, Okay, so I love everything about this book for the record, uh, but that's obvious. Written by Karen Gillan, drawn by Stephanie Hans, letter by Clayton Cowles. Okay, let's get the easy stuff out of the way. Karen Gillan's a genius. Everything he writes is perfect. <laughs> Stephanie Hans is the best artist on the planet. Okay, we don't need to talk about those. Just assume every time we talk about Die, those two things mean something. I got this cover. That was a really good one. It almost looks like one of the yeah. regular covers when they do it, but yeah, yeah no. I gotta collect them all. I know, man. They're so great. But, but especially my... with the obvious, obvious, I should have known. This. Oh, we'll talk. We'll get to it. So, um, my cover, by the way, is Alberto Veranda for those listening. So, nice. Um, also, did you look at the back of the pay- back of the comic, the back cover? They quoted my boy Terry Pratchett. Oh yes, I did see that. <laughs> he says that is fantasy is almost a sea in which other genres swim. Terry Pratchett, how is He's that? The best. <laughs> the, I, I, so I said I love everything about this. So, um. Basically, our adventurers are now going to an island where they're going to get to the center of Dai in order to escape. We check in with everybody after the big conflict. Um, Ash is now a captive to the rest of the group because she tried to take over everything. Saul is still a zombie. um, And everybody else is doing their thing. Matt still is double knighted up, which is great. He's both grief and anger knight. Um... Angela, who is low-key my favorite character of the series. Yeah. I think Matt's probably my favorite, but but Angela's probably, like, breaching I, there. Yeah, I really have to think about it. She's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're they're going to this. They're, they take a boat, and I love the fantasy trope of eventually every D&D campaign is on a boat. <laughs> like, like, everybody's like, what if we did this but on a boat? What if we did this but pirates, you know? Um. They go to this really creepy island. We're not going to give everything away because it would really require to explain a lot of things. Um, I do love that the weird cult they find is quoting Thaco, which is like old school D&D, if you don't know. Um, Thaco Khan, Thaco Strength. Thaco, yeah, that's Thaco, what they're Thaco saying, Khan, right? Yeah. Thaco, 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 Thaco AC. Like, I'm like, yeah. Because it stands for to hit armor class zero mm. is what it means. So, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It's from back first edition of D and D. I want to Damn. say so. Yeah, but they decide to use the submersible and they go down. And as I turned this page, I was like, "Fucking Elsway is going to be so excited, dude!" Uh, <laughs> so we we've met several literary titans in this journey. Yeah, and now we meet another. We meet H.P. Lovecraft himself. <laughs> 
And of course, of course, his eyes are scratched out and stitched up. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? Shit's about to get very wordy on die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's also going to get very fucking weird and probably really oh violent. God. And then what for the ending? Like what? Like it's almost like, like makes sense, but it's like fog. It's, it's going to get heavy. The whole thing with Chuck losing, like, was it Dower? Like, oh my God, the Dower and Delighted are such a crazy story. And then like, Chuck just really feeling it. He's really been feeling it ever since he realized that he just, there were just two dimensional uh, characters and you're just like, wait, mm-hmm. what? No, this isn't right. And then just him with his, his own mortality. Like, God, this book has just been everything. Like, I love everything about this series. And then, yeah, they start going underwater. You get like that, that shot with the hand. And it's like, what? And yeah, the whole the whole body shot, fuck, dude. This is gonna be it's, it's gonna be so good. I can't wait yeah. to see what he does with it. And it's, I'm not sure if you read a little bit into him coming back or with them coming back. Yeah, or just like I did. Yeah, he actually he's not a big H.P. Lovecraft fan, but it's almost like something he had to touch touch up on. So it's like, well, this is gonna be really cool. It's not really like I'm a huge fan. Let me just do my own fan service shit. I want to do. It's more like no, it's something that's almost like expected. So actually, let me treat this right or in my own way and like, through like a true like outside perspective um objective perspective so i'm really excited for this it's one of the things like if you want to make an homage to literary fantasy you have to include lovecraft at least a bit you know like it's like tolkien c.s lewis lovecraft are probably the big three you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and C.S. Lewis is questionable because the whole thing. So, yeah. And I liked, like, when we were kind of touching back, or in the story, they're touching back on, like, everything that happened. And it almost makes, like, it made me feel relieved where, like, I kind of almost, like, forgave the book for taking so long to for, for taking a break. Or it's just like, yeah, no, when you play a D&D campaign and the party is split or you have to, like, really separate people, it fucking takes a while for, for a turn to take. So, and especially when this one, everything is actually more a sense of real people in, in a game with real places that are fuck far, far away, this turn would take a long time to come back to, to our characters. And it's like, yeah, yeah. that happened there. That had to happen there. That had to happen there. So shit. Yeah. We did have to take a little break because a lot of turns had to happen before we came to back to ours. So God, I just, I miss D and D so much. Yeah. And, um, it's just, it's just really interesting. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, he also posted on Twitter that he is, Basically, you know how he had, he made like playtest materials for people to actually play in the world of Die. Yeah, he's in the process of making an actual like rule set for it. Oh, nice! And he's looking for he was looking for playtesters, I think, when I last saw. So I was like, "That's fun." <laughs> I was like, "Don't tempt me with a good time." <laughs> so, yeah. All right, we're gonna move on, and we're gonna talk about uh, our one of our favorite uh, independent publishers out there. Yes, Vault Comics. We got two vault books. We both have both books. Uh, first off, we'll start with Hollow Heart number three. Cool. Uh, words, stories, and letters by Paul Lore and pictures, colors, and lines by Paul Tucker. Uh, once again, this is the story of the the robot android man who is trapped, and there's a a tragic story going here and everything, and um. Honestly, okay, here's the thing. And they've done this in other issues. And uh, I've been enjoying the story and everything. But the thing that's really getting me is, like, the metaphor stories that they're telling. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> like this one about the lady who was kidnapped and 
kept in a basement by her captor for three years. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I thought about was the entire issue. I was thinking about her. I was like, that's fucked up. <laughs> like, and so it's really good. And it was really well used, I think. But I think it did distract a little from the actual story going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the end, I was back in. And it's just really, really interesting. And then they had another story at the end about the the teacher who built beehives on the school campus right. and some rich man destroyed it all. And it's like a lot of metaphors in it. And it's really kind of interesting here. But um, I think that was good because in this one, it's a very action heavy issue. Easily the most action heavy we've had of the series where it's about Elle just busting out basically. So, right. Uh, what do you think? No, I, I definitely enjoyed it. It was like, it was interesting. Yeah, with definitely, again, with like the metaphors, because the one that really resonated with me was the one, the second issue, the one about the lady like singing, and then she finally steps yes. into like a different spot, and she was like really shit, and they told her I was the best you ever sung, and she never sung again. It's like, oh shit. But in this one, yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it was almost like, yeah, on purpose, like telling a story through metaphors, because it mm-hmm. was just Elle trying to, like the whole plan about Elle busting out, and it doesn't go exactly right, like it never does. Um, but I feel like the, this. But L actively did it wrong. That's, That's true. Thing. That's it true. It wasn't like something went wrong. L was just like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like the the issue would have gone just that much faster, if that makes sense. Even though they could have like drawn it out yeah. to be like, a long escape, but I feel like without the metaphor, without you thinking about how this would go or about the other lady, and then drawing it out back to L, I think it would have just gone a lot quicker, like a lot faster of an event mm-hmm. before we tell. I think the finale is supposed to be four, but I could be wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. I want to see these two together. <laughs> yeah. Maybe five. But then like you get you do get that bit where it's like you almost again, almost feel bad about the security with like his little story in the beginning and at the end when he's all busted and he can't play piano again. But then again it's like he's just thinking about it, was he shit the whole time too. <laughs> just thinking back and back on that comment. Yeah, exactly. So Awesome. And then our final vault book. Oh, yes. God, this just gets better and better every week. Vampire the Masquerade, number eight. Written by Tim Seeley. Drawn by Devmalia Promenik. Also written, the side story, by Teeny and Blake Howard. Drawn by Nathan Gooden. Coloring for all of it, done by Addison Duke. And lettering by Ann World. Ah, Cecily Bain is just so amazing. I have to play as her in the campaign. (laughs) I just have to. (laughs) Just make a rip-off character, so. Um, So... Basically, Cecily Bain finds out that the nurse taking care of her sister is has, is missing, quote, and she does some investigation into it. Uh, I don't want to get too much into exactly what happens. Long story short, she starts suspecting Allie. And Allie is plain dumb. And she basically tries to drag all the all the truth out of Allie about her father, who we know from previous issues was a hunter. Um, and she feeds her a story that is mostly bullshit, it sounds like. And then they come to a confrontation where she's basically like Allie tells her, basically begs for mercy and says, You're the big you're like the big sister I never had. And Cecily, contrary to her normal actions, shows mercy and just walks away, turns her back. And then Allie jumps her from behind. Yeah. And we're about to have a confrontation between the two of them. I don't want either of them to die. <laughs> like uh. I like them both. So I hope this goes differently than I think. So, um, and then the backup story, the Anarch tells was actually interesting. Cause this one was a flashback. Yeah. 
that kind of told the story of Allie's father, uh, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's got the hook and everything like that. So um, that was really interesting to set that up. So, uh, And then, of course, at the end, we get a game supplement. Um, we do get the stats for Aaron Running Bear, which is great. I like Aaron Running Bear. Um, really cool. Um I just I just poured over the 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 character sheet. I was just playing like looking at it the entire time like ooh <laughs> like so. Yeah, um but I'm really enjoying it and uh I'm excited. I I'm wondering if the next issue, well the next issue wouldn't be the end of the arc, it'd be 10 probably. It should be 10. So maybe the whole next issue is just a big fight. That'd be fine. So, yeah. Uh, oh, also, um, for those curious, Aaron Runny Bear is a Toreador, which, if, for those who played Vampire the Masquerade, is a clan that's like kind of artists. Mm. So, yeah, they're they're social animals. So, yeah, but yeah, really, really enjoying that. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about DC. Yeah, Heroes Reborn, baby. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a conversation when that comes up. I have a feeling. All right, so I got Green Lantern number two. Uh, so, written by Jeffrey Thorne, who's great. Uh, art by Dexter Soy and Marco Santucci. Coloring by Alex Sinclair and lettering by Rob Lay. Now, I got this cover. So, Sojo from... Oh, nice. Yeah. Far Sector. Yeah. Uh, so, and I was like, oh, maybe it's just a variant cover. Maybe she doesn't appear. Spoiler alert, she does. Nice. So this takes place immediately after Oa is finally accepted into the League of Planets, right? So they're talking about what that means now that they're a member of the League of Planets, the United Planets, excuse me. Um, and what that means, the United Planets is like, well, we're accepting you, but there's some conditions. And they find out the conditions. Basically, the Lantern Corps is a larger military force than they have, than the United Planets has. And it's weird to bring in, you know, the superpowered military for one of their planets that's not you know that could potentially overthrow everything so basically what the compromise they came to is they have to basically abandon a large portion of the sectors that they're protecting so this is a big day by the way this is one of the biggest green lantern like things that's happened in a while they have to abandon a whole bunch of sectors and people get reassigned and Certain sectors might have more than one Green Lantern now that they're still patrolling. Um, some Green Lanterns are put as, um, oh god, what they call it. Um, I'll look it up. Guy, Guy Gardner is one of them. I know that. Um, Outrider, which is like, you know, if you need something, boom, you go, you know, basically like that. Um, certain ones are just assigned to a quest. So you have a quest you got to go do. You're going to be kind of like a, a gun for hire type thing. Um, and all these different, like, um, these sectors, 1,200 sectors were vacated to their, from their jurisdiction. So they have no jurisdiction there at all anymore. And the, the United Planets are going to be the ones their military is going to, like, patrol it. And the Greenlanders don't like this. And they can't help but notice that all the Green Lanterns from Earth are assigned completely opposite areas of each other, nowhere near each other. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, Jessica Cruz is sent to Oshihia, and, like, uh, freaking, um, there was a couple, there was a couple really big ones, um, 
Rainer was sent to Ragashun. Uh, Simon Baz is sent to Science Cells. Like, they're all sent in completely different directions. And they're like, this can't be a coincidence that we're all sent different places. You know, why they want to break us up. Guy Gardner's an outrider, which is, of course, so Guy Gardner. Uh, Kilowog is given a quest. We don't know what yet. So. Uh, but basically, like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're basically depowering the, the core a bit. And then they meet with Jon Stewart and they're like, you have a quest as well. And basically, there's these areas called the Dark Sectors where it's not controlled by the United Planets yet or the Green Lanterns. Like, and they want him to go. And he's like, or in like, check it out. He's like, well, that's a lot of territory for one Green Lantern to cover alone. And they owe John Stewart, you will not be alone. And there's this cool shot of all these Green Lanterns flying in. Oh, that looks sick. And you find out it's a thousand Green Lanterns. Oh, shit. Nice. And with him, it's a thousand and one. And they use their powers to make a giant green spaceship. <laughs> nice. And they're basically going to travel the cosmos discovering shit. And it's so cool. And I love it. And so he's the leader of that group. And then everybody leaves and they're back on Oa, right? Where the power battery is, where all the Green Lanterns get their power. Now, do you remember Future State? Yeah. What happened with the Green Lantern power battery? It was destroyed, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the only the only lanterns we recognize that are on Oa at this point are um, Simon Baz and um, Teen Lantern, the little girl, right? Mm-hmm. And Simon's like, I'm going to be the one taking care of you because John's gone, but we're going to train you. We're going to make sure you're great and everything like that. I'll make sure you go back to Earth when you need to. And she's like, oh, cool. And she's like, hey, Simon, what's wrong with the big battery? Oh, shit. Yeah. The power battery explodes and destroys Oa. Fuck, just right now. It's like two two issues. The home planet of the Green Lanterns has been destroyed. Nobody survives the explosion except for Teen Lantern. Oh, fuck. Okay. So they just killed Simon Baz. Damn. Yes. And they actually show it from Oa's point of view. They show a vanishing point. Like, they show... Uh, from Vega and Warworld, everybody's watching as it happens. This is a big moment. And uh, some lantern shows up at Oa and is just like, what happened? And you, you see it from their POV, right? Yeah. And they're like, what happened? And, you know, find green lanterns and their ring is like gr- zero green lanterns in range. And she's like, how? How is that possible, basically? And they find Teen Lantern crying over Simon's body. Fuck. And then we get the big reveal. It's Joe. Oh, the one that came. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, her, her ring confirms, excluding yourself, Sojourner Mullen, there are no Green Lanterns here. And again, she doesn't need, like, the power battery because, like, she has, like, that different one. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. It's heartbreaking. Like, it was. This is a huge moment in Green Lantern lore. <laughs> Literally, their planet's destroyed. But yeah. the Green Lantern planet, like, and a good chunk of their number, and they're all scattered across the cosmos, and now they don't have a source of power. Mm-hmm. They're all scattered with no power. Fuck. And that leads straight into what happened in future states, so it's really interesting. So, uh, I'm going to kick it over to you next for Swamp Thing 3. Swamp Thing 3. Again, the other one I was I had to catch up. I read two. Really good. Fuck. It's, it's, it's Swamp Thing. It's fucking awesome. So in 3, <laughs> um, the new Swamp Thing, his name is Levi. And he, he's with his friend, I want to say partner. Um, and they're at the hospital, he's going to get a CAT scan. And it's really cool because like, you get like a whole splash page of like different parts of like the brain scans. Ooh, that's cool. I like that. That's very Swamp Thing. Yeah. And 
towards like the end, it's like she starts seeing like his brain like trigger and sprouting through the cat scan. Mm. And so she starts being like, wait, what the fuck's happening? Then she's like runs in. Um Levi Kame is his name. And she runs in there and it's a and the whole room, the whole cat scan room is just like engulfed in green. And because spores like particular spores are out, um she starts turning like her whole body starts like sprouting as well and becomes one with the green and we get into the issue and the whole issue is, is basically Levi as as swamping in the green and he's just trying to figure it out because like his powers are just, like on a fritz he can't control him like he's like the new um well he is the new the new swamp thing I was trying to find like a particular word um avatar yeah, he's the new avatar for the swamp thing um and in the green who wants to show up, but not one, but both Ivies. Ooh. I don't know why or, or, or when they, they split, but it's like, it's, it's an Ivy. That's like, that's more like delusion from, uh, from uh, Sandman. She's just like, she's like really weird. Um, mm-hmm. not really her collective self. You go, he, and she makes it, she makes a point to, to don't call her poison Ivy. She's just going by Ivy. She's not that part of herself anymore. And so it's just like, and she's, she's guiding him around in, in the green. Again, he's very new. You see these giant other beings of the green just fighting each other. It's a very Swamp Thing book. It's awesome as hell. Um, and his whole mission is just like, he wants to find her. He can sense um, the lady that was giving, giving him the cat scan because she jumped over. He can sense that there's somebody else there because it's somebody who's part more a part of the red because they're all fleshy and blood. And he's trying to find that anomaly, her, just to get back out. And then he ends up finding Ivy instead. Somebody else finds her, the friend, but we'll get to that maybe in the next issue. And then we find the other Ivy, I guess, like Queen Ivy, the actual well-composed Ivy. That's the, the one that should be the avatar of the Swamp Thing, since she is very much the green. Um, and she's just telling him, like, hey, like I run this bitch, so it's it's cool. <laughs> and then at one point, Swamp Thing is like, yo, I'm trying to find my friend, and puts a hand on her and just becomes like, you dare touch me and start, and they start fighting her other Ivy gets in the way and being like, Hey, you shouldn't do this. Um, but that's when something almost, I like, guess like the upper hand in that moment. Cause she, she does distract her well with um, delusion. Ivy says like pretty much like claps back and be like, well, you're the one that's hurting me right now. And I was like, she takes a second back and something just ends up landing a good punch. And then he starts like feeling all the rage, all, all like the turmoil that's like not right with the green. And he's almost like about to like detonate, really. Um, when you just get calm down, Levi. My name is Alec Holland, and it's gonna yes. everything's gonna be cool. <laughs> and he takes that's him away and be like, I think I think he's gonna like mentor him because that's, that's literally where the where the where the issue ends and be like, I guess like I guess like there's, there's there's some there's some sort of contagion in in the green right now, and he's gonna I guess mentor him for for the next issue. And I'm so fucking excited because I was like, damn, like what's ha- what what did happen to Alec Holland? Why is there a new Swamp Thing? Uh, but yeah, it was it was a dope reveal. And again, so it's, it's gonna be kind of a mini. It's only gonna be ten issues. So fuck yeah, Rom V man, killing it. Nice. All right, and then the DC book that we share, Sensational Wonder Woman number three, Heroes Reborn. No, we'll get to it. <laughs> Uh, so we got two stories here. The first one is written and drawn by Colleen Duran, colored by David Barron, and lettered by Gabrielle Gabriella Downey. And then the second story is written by Alyssa Wong, artist Eleonora Carlini, colors by Enrique, Enrica Aaron Angelini. There we go. And lettered by Travis Lanham. 
Uh, so they're, they're both kind of like fun, upbeat stories, uh, which is really what Wonder Woman should be most of the time. Yeah, I like, that, I like that this <laughs> specific book, Sensational Wonder Woman, it'll be kind of like that. Like, again, the, the other one I had to catch up on, and it mm-hmm. ended that story with um, Artemis, and it just like, well, that was that, yeah. a two-parter, and now we get climbing to this, like, two-parter in one issue. So it was kind of more a fun one. Yeah, so the first half is literally a woman trying to help Wonder Woman work on her branding. <laughs> it almost felt like those o- old Hostess cake ads from the 80s <laughs> Marvel comics, if you ever read, whereas it was just like, it's just so cheesy that you're like, this is adorable, I love it. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, not a lot to really, you know, write home about, but I don't know if this is going to be a thing that com- goes into the future. Like, maybe, who knows? The second story is about Diana attending a charity auction or charity uh, party with Bruce Wayne and Mr. Freeze attacking and her just handing him his ass, basically. <laughs> uh, the highlight of this one for me was something very funny where she um, she kicks Mr. Freeze with his bubble head on <laughs> and breaks his nose, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. My, my only thought is she kicked the bubble head back so fiercely that it hit his nose and broke it because it didn't break the bubble head, which is, or it's just ridiculous. Or the fact that it was able to flick him upwards, even though it, it yeah. just hit. Yeah. It should just like, his head should just bounce back or something. Yeah. But yeah, I, he says, I think you broke my nose. <laughs> yeah, and that's not, not me with allergies right now. That's me literally quoting. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's cheesy and it's pretty camp. Like, he's like, what's with the chili reception and stuff like yeah. that? Like, it's just a lot of fun. So I forgive it for something silly like that. But this has been a fun, enjoyable book. I mean, it's not like, going to be your epic action movie that everybody's going to love, but I like it. If you do, that's where you go to the other Wonder Woman book. Um, yeah. That's where that's. Or Justice is. League. Or just Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on to Marvel, I just got to point out that um, they released the lineup for the Festival of Heroes, the Asian superhero celebration for DC. Okay. DC, man, you got to work on it. Ooh. Introduce us some more characters. Um, Omac. Did you remember that Omac was Asian? I did not remember that he was Asian. Okay. Green Lantern, Ty Pham. Do you know who Ty Pham is? Because I can name eight human Green Lanterns, and I don't know who Ty Pham is. Yeah, no, I don't. Okay. Uh, Imiko Queen for Red Arrow, sure. Cheshire, sure. Uh... New Superman? Do you know what this is from? I can't even place it. No. Yeah, it's from New Superman 2016. So, I don't know. Um, Katana, great. Uh, Cheshire Cat. We're doubling up on those Cheshires. <laughs> um, Ryan Choi Adam, great. Batgirl Cassandra Kane, which I'm very excited about because Mariko Tamaki's writing it. And that is the reason I'll be picking up this book for the record. Hmm. And then Grunge from Gen 13, who I forgot first of all, was owned by DC, and second of all, is Asian. Um, I think he's half, I want to say. But I'm I'm all for more Gen 13, don't get me wrong, but that's it, Josue. Oh, damn. I mean, I love Cassandra Cain, but she shouldn't be the title character. The flagship one, yeah. You know, like, it makes me kind of sad. But yeah, DC, please, please, more diversity, and stop putting up to a popular vote on Twitter, please. Yeah, that's just do it. Just fucking do it. Like, <laughs> um, so, anyways, we're moving on then. After my soapbox, let me climb down from there, um, and we're gonna go ahead and talk about Marvel as always. Last, we have several books. Hosway. Yes. 
Quickly, let's go over Amazing Spider-Man 65. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'll be quickly because it's this was like uh, one big setup to a giant size. It's, uh, yes, the King's Ransom book. It's the one that's like a bunch of family drama between the Robbies and the the Tombstones and the their offsprings and the love that shouldn't be and uh, all of the Kingpin call-outs jobs so they can stop that from happening for some reason even though he just wants the lifeline tablet and it's all going to culminate down to a giant size spider-man giant size i mean spider-man king's ransom number one um then i will give you a little details on like really what this whole clusterfuck's about because even the syndicate shows up to to save um uh tombstone's daughter i'm blanking on her name right now so everybody's here right now it just became one giant clusterfuck uh, what's about to happen. Yeah, and then for the good guy side, you get all of Spider-Man's dope street allies. So they'll That's be awesome. joining in the fray for the that giant size. And it's all really going to start, because it's, it's going to start leading out to, <coughs> excuse me, the Sinister War. So yes. yeah, it, the, the, this issue just went by so fast. Nice. It was just a big setup. What about uh, Carnage, Red, White, and Blood 3? Ooh. Carnage Red, 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 White, and Blood 3. Uh, three quick, sweet stories about involving Carnage and a bloody mess. Like the first one was, was I think, probably my favorite one. There's a really great pirate version of everybody. It's like a pirate version of Domino and Eddie Brock and the cool team. And Cletus Cassidy is like his own, like, black beard, if you will, um, as he's running, like, the pirate ships. But the first story was really cool. It's um, pretty much like Carnage does his thing at say at a random store right and when they spider-man shows up and when they take carnage away he's like i'll kill everybody i swear to god and then there was only because there was only one survivor and that survivor took it to the fucking grave literally he starts getting paranoid that he's like he's out there he knows i'm still alive like and he starts getting like little whispers like little carnage whispers in his ear actually starting like survivor's guilt that he was just like still around um (laughs) and um so yeah, and the end he ends up like killing himself. So when news comes back to Ravencroft, there's a guard that's just, just like it's literally reading the papers, like, so how'd you do it? And like, how'd you get him to off himself? Fine, you dragged it out of me. The truth is, I got no idea who you're talking about. And you know what? <laughs> that makes it even better. It's like very clear as Cassidy, you know? So it's like yeah. it's very dark. You're just following this random dude and like carn- the little carnage in his ear to just make him do it. Um but yeah, but the second story is really cool. It's like, check us out. Like, the pirate ship with the Venom flag. It becomes like... Oh, yeah, that's dope. Venom pirate ship versus Carnage pirate ship. And it's like, okay, like maybe these, these stories, stories are really cool. And then the third one is Carnage... Atten- the third one is the Carnage attending a Comic-Con. And then basically the cult of Carnage, the ones that were basically getting everybody during um the, the absolute Carnage era for Johnny Cates. Um they go to comic cons as the cult people for Noel to look for carnage cosplayers to go get like, Hey, there's a party at so-and-so after the con come over. If you're specifically if you're a carnage and you get there and this turns out these cultists are the real dudes and they basically get carnage, other carnage followers for sacrifices for carnage. Only the one that they got was the real deal. And there, and in the <laughs> end he lets the, the carnage cosplayers go, not because they were the fans, but because the cultists couldn't tell who the fucking real carnage was. So they make some uh, pretty much fake fans, fake cultists. <laughs> so that's carnage for you. 
Nice. Yeah, those are three stories. That was just stupid fun. All right. And then uh, next up, I have, uh, I think, I think we share every book. Uh, well, not every book. We're close. Uh, the Union. We'll start there. Union number five. Uh, this is uh, the final issue. And it's written by Paul Grist. Penciled by Andrea DeVito. Inked by LeBeau Underwood. Colored by Nolan Woodard. And lettered by Travis Lanham. Um, so this wraps up the story with the UK superhero team. Um, and it, it turns out pretty cool. Like I like this stuff with the Union Jack. Uh, we did reveal, because they kept talking about Britannia the entire time, we did reveal that Britannia is not actually dead. She's just like a disembodied spirit, and she takes control of Union Jack right when she needs to. And it's just a lot of fun. It, it ends up being a very, like, like very British story. A guy trying to take over England, trying to become the new emperor of England and stuff. and um, Just some funny stuff, like the character known as Snakes, who is literally just a pile of snakes. This lady's hanging off a, a bridge, very uh, Spider-Man-like style, and Snake saves her, but he's literally made of snakes, so that's what it looks like when he's trying to save her. <laughs> and so she's freaked out about it. Like, yeah, I'd probably let go, too. <laughs> I love snakes, but it's like, fuck, no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, But yeah, it's really cool. Uh, we get a really cool moment where the bad guy, like I said, he takes the gem that makes him the new emperor, but Britannia like is inside of union jack her spirit and they punch them together so it's really cool like it was a really cool story it wrapped it up really nicely i enjoyed this i love i love marvel uk it's always been one of my favorite like subgenres of marvel so yeah really really cool great i got a really cool variant cover too as you can see here oh, that's just a lot one. of fun yeah yeah so good book moving on I got Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number five, which Hostway picked up, but it hasn't read yet. I haven't found number one. Yeah, you can't find number one. It is on the Marvel app. I I did upload it on Oh, that's right. I was going to ask you to do it, but I figured (laughs) it was If you just want to read it. Yeah, (laughs) okay, I will. Awesome. So Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number five. And this would be a good time to do it because I think there's one issue left. So Mm -hmm. written by Larry Hama, drawn by David Wachter, colored by Naraj Manon, and lettered by Travis Lanham. When we last left off, uh, Okoye had killed two dragons and taken their hearts. So their chi, And everybody thinks it's a bad thing. She's trying to convince them, no, it's a good thing I need to do this. The dragons told me to. Her and Danny are about to have a fight. Luckily, they don't, because I don't want to know who would win that fight. Because um, she probably would, and I don't want to see Danny get his ass handed to him. <laughs> so, um, but basically, they get attacked, and um, the main bad guy is attacking them, and yeah, they do their thing. And in the end, they get attacked right at the end by the ghost dragon of the Hidden City, which is swooping down on them. So, oh, sick. I, I think we're going to get a nice climactic thing. Um, it does say to be concluded. So, mm-hmm. And then this is the cover preview. Oh, damn. Which is a Koye with a glowing staff and Iron Fist in the background. So, Wakanda forever, baby. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God, we should we should have talked about all that. Oh, that's true. You know, I didn't even think about the news for that. We'll talk about this some other time. So, <laughs> all right, that leads us to the books we share. First off, Merrick Chavez, Made in the USA, number three. I got this cover, and I got cover A. Yep. I was so happy we were wrong about what happened. Yes. Yes, I am too. Uh, so, written by Kalinda Vasquez, drawn by Carlos Gomez. Coloring by Jesus Abertov and lettering by Travis Lanham. 
Um, so yeah, America wakes up and she's got a girl standing over her and finds out that it's her sister. Yeah. And she's like, what? And then basically to prevent this from being a 20 minute explanation, everything she's been told is pretty much a lie. Uh, her whole <laughs> origin is completely different than she thought it was. Long story short, there's a doctor that was performing experiments on the two of them because they had a disorder and it was going to kill them. And Basically, he can find a way to do it. And her, her parents were actually scientists working with him to try to cure the girls because, you know, they're her daughters. They're their daughters, you know. And the sister reveals, hey, we're both dying. That's why your powers are giving out. We're dying. And then her sister reveals that she's continuing the experiments on more girls. And that's kind of where we leave off. Uh, it, it is an issue three, so we're right in the middle of the arc. Um you know, not a lot to go over, really. Cool reveal. It definitely keeps it going. Uh, what do you think so far? Um, I did like that they're, but they're at. I don't say I don't say it's bittersweet. It says like it's a lot to recon. If this really is yes. like the new origins, like that that part is like I'm still gonna wait to just like digest or just to really swallow down. Um, I was I was just happy to, that they, instead of like reconning the whole thing, as that they're still kind of going with. I like that they first. Before doing that, they first added that she has a sister. Now that we're, we're going to leave it off there instead of recording the whole thing, but now it's just like it's up in the air, and it's like I don't I don't know how I like it yet because like it's still very like it still fits, but it's just like it's just huge to just like recon a whole universe out of existence, even though it was our dying universe. So she came or she came over here, um, but to just like make all that go away, especially when there was like kind of history to to that, um, it's just interesting. Interesting how she plays out because like the sister does seems very unhinged, so. I can I I we don't know how much she she is really lying about the whole thing or how much of it. But if, but if she is her sister, like, I I'd be all up for that. Gotcha. Yeah, I I think it is her sister, obviously, but I just like I don't know. We'll see where it goes because they're recounting a lot. Yes, like and, a lot. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes. So yeah, it's really good though. It's a good middle issue, you know. So not too much to talk about. Yeah. Um, next up, Thor and Loki, Double Trouble number three. <laughs> I love this story. It's so great. Uh, so this is the all ages book uh, written by Mariko Tamaki. Artist is Gurihiru and lettering by Ariana Mayer. We jump straight into where we left off, which is Thor and Loki falling through an infinity pit. Basically <laughs> they're falling, falling, falling. Uh, they think in the end, Thor thinks they're in Jotunheim and they're attacked by some giants, stone giants, I believe. And they're suddenly assisted by Lady Thor. Thor. Just Thor. Goddess of Thunder. <laughs> and her and our Thor get into a little bit of a there can only be one moment. And they're trying to figure out who how to decide which one of them should, you know, be Thor. And, you know, a couple of different ideas, including an arm wrestling contest that she immediately beats him on. And basically, Loki's like, it's fine. We just need to get back to our world anyways. And we need to find the little little uh, bobble that I had, the little uh, gem. And uh, we find out that, and it's funny because earlier in the issue, Loki said, there's only one Loki because I'm so unique and awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then you find out that it's found by Lady Loki. Yeah. Which is just great. I just love this series. It's so much fun. Uh, again, we, we say it every time, but it's a really great way to introduce your kids to the actual ex or to the Avengers comics. Yeah. If you're kind of nervous about them getting into something 
like I don't know Civil War <laughs> that is really intimidating and kind of grim and sad. Especially when it's yeah. like the Punisher part where you're just like offing off uh, Thunderbolts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, what do you think of the book? Uh, no, it's just like every time I every time I read it, I just like it just adds to like the legitimacy of like a, when you just see the the. I said this on like I think on the first issue, when you, but when you when you see those things that was Thor and Loki, and you're like oh, I remember when we were kids, saying like, and then Thor's like, oh, I seem to remember when you did this and this and this to me and, and stabbed me in the back. These yeah. are those stories. These are like when they're kids and they're just younger, just ripping on each other, just having fun, um, and they're innocently, yeah, Loki still stabbing in the back as kids, but it's very fun. It's so heartfelt, a lot of heart. Yeah, I love it. So, speaking of heartfelt. Oh. Strange Academy number 10. Yes. I got this cover. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's an Arthur Adams cover for the record. Anyone <laughs> listening? So, uh, Written by Scotty Young, drawn by Humberto Ramos, colored by Edgar Delgado, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. Seems like it's been a while for Strange Academy, like a month or two. It took a little break, yeah. Yeah. So we're on a field trip to Asgard. Yay. And we find out some really interesting stuff about Alvi and Eric. Because originally we had a different idea of who their mother was. It was mm-hmm. kind of like flubbed in the original storyline. Yeah, because the only thing we knew like it was parent day and only Loki showed up. Yeah. But we find out uh, because uh, because of various things. We find out that their mother is the Enchantress, which I predicted yeah. for the record. Um, and it's mostly Eric. Alvi really isn't involved in the story. But a couple of big things happen in this. And a lot of this is fucking adorable, <laughs> as most of Strange Academy is. First thing that's adorable, they're in a school bus going to Asgard. That's amazing to me. Yeah. And Gus can't fit in the school bus, so Gus just gets dragged along by the bus. <laughs> just incredible. Love it. Um, so Alvi is trying to to flirt with Emily, completely oblivious to the fact that we all know that Dormammu and Emily are supposed to be together. Yep. And uh, he's all trying to flirt with her. We find out that their um, escort is going to be Vol- Volstag, who I love. Volstag's great. Uh, he takes them to go eat, which is very Volstag. Um, and then we have a scene where they're all eating, and Emily's sitting there, and across from her is Shaylee. Yes. And Toth. Yes. And and Doyle's there, and Shaylee won't stop talking, and she's talking to Toth, who can't talk, so that's great. And basically. Long story short, she's like, do you want to be my boyfriend? <laughs> and Toth just gives her a double thumbs up. And then she's like, all right. Now, I want this panel right here. Oh, absolutely. I want that as my Twitter icon. If I can find a way to just crop <laughs> that, I'm going to as soon as I upload this digitally. Uh, that's going to be my Twitter icon for a while because that shit's hilarious. It's so good. Uh, but basically, they start dating. I don't know if Toth even realizes what that means. But sure. Okay. So... <laughs> um, Doyle's upset. He leaves. He follows Alvi, and that's when we find out that um, that Enchantress is their mother, or Eric. Sorry, not Alvi. And um, she's in the roots of the World Tree, which is really cool. I love the design of this. How this looks. Yeah, that was really gorgeous. Like, and I loved it. Um, and we get to hear him talk to the Enchantress for a bit. She's like, "I understand. You know, you're ashamed of me, etc. And you know, you could have learned from me, not going to Strange's." school and he's just like you know he blows her off and stuff and then uh doyle walks up and eric gets upset that he found out and he's like don't tell anybody and eric had just given him shit about his dad being a bad guy seriously yeah and then doyle does the right thing and his covers for him 
and when Emily shows up and it's just like, oh no, I was looking for Thor, you know, and stuff like that. So Doyle's the best, the best character. Oh, totally. <laughs> so, and then we find out that there was a big brawl when no one was paying attention <laughs> <laughs> because some fire demons started picking on Gus and then the frost giants had a problem with that. And then elves jumped in because they bumped into Toth. And then Shaylee lost her shit because don't touch my boyfriend. <laughs> and there's a big fight. And basically, they got kicked out of Asgard. Uh, so they're about to leave and everything. And there's a cute moment where Doyle's like, you know, they're talking about how the, him and Emily owe each other something. And he's like, thank you for kissing me. She's like, oh, I'm not laughing at that. I just mean that wasn't really a kiss because this is when she brought him back to life. Mm-hmm. And then they actually have a kiss. And it's so fucking cute. Like I love yeah. it so much. The art style to this, like the way like her skin is like lit up, like not like not on fire, but actually flaring. It looks really cool. Yeah, and it's just cute. And of course, the whole school witnesses it. They're flying by on the bus <laughs> <laughs> and gets them in there, and then they fly home. So yeah, this is great. I absolutely loved it. Uh, this continues to be one of my favorite Marvel books, especially when they add the stupid bits at the end, like the yeah <laughs> the test like. Their their test results and stuff like that. So yeah, um, Eric, were you not from Asgard all along? <laughs> it's such a great <laughs> note by Agatha Harkness. Yeah, I'm a little disheartened by the cover of the next one. Oh God, I know. Which we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. So, all right. Yeah. Moving on now, Josue. We can finally talk about it. Heroes Reborn. <laughs> I have two variants. Ooh, I have that one, of course. I had to get that one, too. Of course. And then I got... Whoa, huge one. That's cool. This wraparound variant. Whoa, all the way around. That's cool. Yeah, it folds out and everything. So, um, yeah, this is uh, Heroes Reborn. But did you, you got this one, the, the first one I showed you? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Creative Team, written by Jason Aaron. Penciled by Ed McGinnis, inked by Mark Morales, colored by Matt Wilson, and lettered by Corey Petit. I would like to point out how amazing it is and how how just arrogant Marvel is. Seriously. That not only are they revisiting the Clone Saga, but they're also revisiting Heroes Reborn. Two of the reputed worst storylines they've ever done. <laughs> and they're doing them both at the same time. Bravo, Marvel. You have no fear. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, quick history lesson, because we're gonna we're gonna, not going to get too deep into this, because we're running long. But Heroes Reborn was right after the Onslaught Saga, okay. where something happened. Uh, do you remember this? Did you read it at the time? No, you know no, no, no. Okay. I read it before. Oh, my God. Okay. So, Onslaught happened, and everybody, everybody, big crossover, tried to stop it. The only way they could stop it is they entered this portal. And they were transported to an alternate Earth. So, all the Avengers, the Hulk, Fantastic Four, and I want to say somebody else that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, were transported to an alternate Earth. This is when the Thunderbolts debuted. Because there were no longer Avengers. Okay. So, they were were stepping in to take the spot. So, literally, the only heroes left were, like, Spider-Man, the Thunderbolts, and the the X-Men. And no one trusted the X-Men. Right. So, so it was a really cool time, but they they did Heroes Reborn, and this is when Jim Lee and Rob Layfield came back to Marvel. Oh, that yeah, okay. Have you seen that infamous 
Captain America side pose. The chest, yeah. This is the big, that's from Heroes Reborn. Okay. So, um, no wonder they got Ed McGinnis for this. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so Rob Liefeld was around for like three issues and then bailed because, of course, he did. He's Rob Liefeld. And um, Jim Lee had to take over basically the entire project by himself. Um, and it was not received well, is what I will say. Yeah. Uh, they're all in this alternate universe. They're doing their own thing. It was not good. Jim Lee did his best. And the best was probably the Fantastic Four stuff. I liked that. Okay. Which was Jim Lee. Um but it wasn't received well, and then suddenly, oh, we're back! But that's where we get Counter Earth, uh, where where like uh, Ricky Barnes and uh, a couple of characters are from that other Earth. Um, so if you ever see Counter, I think it's called Counter Earth. Mm-hmm. If you ever see that, that's what that's from. Is the okay. other world they visited from? So now it, it is an alternate reality, and it's very different. And I think for the better, personally. <laughs> Uh, in this world, uh, and by the, for, for the better, I mean better than the original Heroes Reborn, not for the better than the normal Marvel Universe. Basically, uh, it's kind of like the beginning of Age of Apocalypse, to be honest, where right. there's one hooded black man that's the only person that remembers how things should be. That's basically how Age of Apocalypse starts, except in this case, instead of Bishop, it's Blade. And we find out that in this world, the Avengers never get together because Captain America is never found, and the Squadron Supreme actually are the premier super team. And how familiar are you with the Squadron Supreme before this issue? Um, Just a little bit. Just like, I knew about Hyperion. I have a couple of books with him, but that's about it. It kind of runs in and around him. So the Squadron Supreme was a parody of the Justice League. Okay. So you kept you kept making the DC jokes? Yeah. They've been like this since the 80s. Oh, no shit. Okay, cool. It's been a blatant ripoff and joke and making fun of DC. Well, I'm not sure if you saw these, so. like, your comic books or what. There's these trading cards on Heroes Reborn, and there's like little profiles of like each of them. So it's like, no. you get like the Nighthawk one, and in the back oh. is like the profile, and it's like, it, it literally says... It's like the 90s ones. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And it later says, Nighthawk was orphaned at a young age and uses his inheritance to develop skills and equipment as a superhero. Wink, wink. <laughs> That's the joke, yeah. So they did, like, um, in Squadron Supreme was in, in their own reality originally. Okay. And the deal in the original Squadron Supreme was they had a year to fix all the world's problems. That was the story. And so it's a 12-issue mini and each one basically roughly goes over a month. And they got to, like, cure cancer. And, uh, they got to do all of it. It's really Holy it's shit. really interesting. Yeah. And But it is a pastiche of the Justice League. Just like the, the Shi'ar Imperial Guard is. Just like so many. Marvel's done, like, three or four of these at this point. So, um, which I never get tired of because it's funny. Um, so, in this case, it's literally Marvel being like, okay, the Justice League are our own heroes. This is what it would be like. Uh, we get to see some really cool things, like... Dr. Doom with Juggernaut Sidorak Jim being Dr. Juggernaut, which is yeah. dumb. And I love it. <laughs> so, um, he gets to fight Hyperion, who is, you know, literally the Superman. And I love, like, I love how cheesy it is. Like, when he's choking Hyperion, Hyperion flexes his neck, and he's like, impossible. <laughs> you flex the super muscles in your neck. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly, this is Marvel being like, isn't the Justice League silly? Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, writing a better Justice League story than DC. Uh, so, yeah. They begin to see Nighthawk, and he's fighting off uh, Black Skull, which looks to be Red Skull with the Venom symbiote, which is yeah. pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, um, 
We also get to see um, Doc Spectrum, who's one of my favorites, actually. He's probably my favorite. Maybe my favorite from Squadron Supreme, oh, okay. originally. Yeah, he's really cool. Um, he's kind of their Green Lantern. Uh, but we get to see him traveling through space. He doesn't fight anyone right off the bat. The real the entire time we're do- like, the yeah, real lantern it- here is uh, fucking Thanos. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we also get to see Blade doing investigations in the background stuff. We get to see the Silver Witch, which <laughs> is where Wanda P- Pietro died and Wanda absorbed his powers, so now she's the super speed sorcerer. Not even you can outrun a thousand spells a minute. And I'm like, oh, this is so cheesy. I love it. Uh, Doc Spectrum gets jumped in space by Thanos, who has the Infinity Rings. Yeah, those. <laughs> which is excellent. Um, Thor's just drunk. <laughs> okay, but this part's awesome. He's wearing an Amonimoth shirt. I didn't notice. It doesn't say the whole thing, probably just like to hide the copyright infringement, but it's for sure Amonimoth. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, dude. Uh, but yeah, basically Blade is trying to investigate. Phil Coulson's president. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, and we oh, and then of course, uh, Power Princess, who she's the one I would probably her and Doc Spectrum are probably my two favorites. That's the one I was kind of hesitating on. Yeah, um, because she had a really cool arc in the original Squadron Supreme storyline, mm-hmm. where she was dating a really old man or married to a really old man. You find out she doesn't age, so it's kind of like, what if we took the Wonder Woman idea seriously? You know what I mean, like. And she fell in love with a man, and he aged, and she didn't. But she's still taking care of this eighty-year-old man, which she's, you know, absolutely beautiful. Right, seriously. And then an alternate Hyperion. This gets really complicated, but an alternate version of Hyperion ditches Hyperion in an alternate reality and takes his place, and he falls in love with her, and he uses his super breath to suck the air out of the old man's lungs, so he dies, and <laughs> he's there to comfort her. And yeah, it was it's just really interesting. So it, I, I love Squatch's Breathe. It got weird. Um, but yeah, and then so yeah, we see the Squadron Supreme. They're doing their thing, and then Thor suddenly turns his Viking drinking horn into into Mjolnir, and we see that Blade is freeing Captain America from the ice. Yeah. Um, so this is gonna be a crossover. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get all of it. Uh, I was already saying like I, I'm just gonna get like the the regular run. Like we just went through like three events and getting picking out almost every single tie in. But this is not doing like a whole like three part tie ins. It's like I'm curious on a few of them. <laughs> I have to get Peter Parker the Amazing Shutterbug because it's literally going to be about him being a photographer. Yeah. Um, I have to get Magneto and the Mutant Force. Magneto and the Mutant Force was like the one I for sure I was I was thinking about because at the very least like the mutants did happen. They can't just like gloss over that just because Cap wasn't de-iced. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely getting Night Gwen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and then. Weapon X and Final Flight. Final so Flight. it's literally what if Wolverine never left Alpha Flight? And if I'm getting that many, I might as well get them all, you know? So Cause it was uh, the one about the kids, the Squadron young, young Squadron. Young Squadron. Yeah, Young Avengers basically. <laughs> so I I really enjoyed it. Uh it was cheesy in the best way. And yeah, uh I'm 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 in. I'm in. We'll see what happens. It's already better than the original Heroes Reborn. <laughs> cool. So yeah. Alright, we're almost done, guys, promise. X-Men books left, starting with X-Men Curse of the Man-Thing, number one. This certainly felt like a conclusion, didn't it? But it wasn't. (laughs) Uh, Written by Steve Orlando, drawn by Andrea Bracardo, colored by Guru, lettered by Clayton Cowles. So this is part three of the Man-Thing saga, where we last time we... It was last week, wasn't it? 
Um, yeah, actually, those fell back to back. Yeah, because I messed up on the tweet. If you mess, if you notice the tweets messed up, uh, there's a deleted one. It's because I put Swamp Thing. Because I'm a bad nerd, I put <laughs> I put literally Curse of Swamp Thing, and I was like, God. <laughs> I was like, everybody's gonna be like, oh, this is fucking fake nerds. Like, I'm like, uh. So, but we can see the X Men kind of like get into this, and it's mostly, to be honest, Storm and Magic are the main two that we see. Yeah. Uh, we find out that uh, the guy in charge of Man Thing uh, made a deal with Belasco, and because Belasco is no longer in charge of Limo, it's now a deal with Magic, and she's obviously a lot nicer, so she's giving him options of being able to drop it and stuff like that. Um. They get attacked, and she summons the Dark Riders, which, let me tell you, Sway. <laughs> yeah. You know me. I'm the biggest mutant nerd on the planet. Yep. I was so excited to see this. So, let's go down the list. Mamomax is there, who we just saw die in New X-Men once again. Remember the thing ate yeah. him? So, yeah. I'm very excited. Forearm. Forearm <laughs> is there. Love it. Wolf Cub, who we know from the the Academy X as well. Uh-huh. He's one of them. Uh, I believe her name is Shark Girl. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. And Mero! my girl Mero. <laughs> like, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the look they gave her. Right. But it's Mero and I don't give a shit. So um, I'm just happy she's there. Mm-hmm. So basically it's like, it's like Magic's Monsters in Training, which I really dug. Um, it's a cool idea. I kind of want them to have their own book. <laughs> so um, they basically help stop, you know, the bad guy, the harrower and everything like that. They're able to drop her into man things, you know, cursed like thing. And she gets captured by the, by, um, by horticulture and everything like that. And yeah, basically that's all wrapped up. But then we get a little bit at the end. With Belasco being like, what the fuck's going on here, you know? And, me- and basically, uh, freaking um, blah, Jennifer Kale, who is a Man-Thing uh, ally, who's mm-hmm. a sorceress, basically puts Belasco in Swamp Thing's Dreadscape. And now the guy who c- controls Man-Thing... Did I say Swamp Thing again? God damn it. <laughs> Man-Thing. Man-Thing. He looks completely different. I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> so, um... In Man Thing's uh, Dreadscape, and now basically Belasco's going to pay. So I think the next issue is really just going to be called Curse of the Man Thing. Oh, that's so, right. It's coming out like, for the next yeah. one. Yeah. So that's cool. I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a cool little three part story. Obviously, it's going to continue, but I think this arc is completed. Yeah, and it did, sure. it did touch on a lot of the different corners of the Marvel Universe, which was fun. So um, on the. To the side, I should say that some artist I can't remember asked online if we if you prefer Man Thing or Swamp Thing, and I was so close to replying I like Swamp Man, <laughs> or I was like should I say Man Swamp, and then I was like mm, and I was like no <laughs> just yeah. let that go <laughs> like so I didn't want to like sound like an asshole <laughs> but I, thought, I was like Man Swamp a man with the power of swamps <laughs> so but yeah cool moving on. Two books left. Hellions, number 11. Yeah. My favorite favorite (laughs) soap opera, baby. (laughs) Written by Zeb Wells, drawn by Steven Segovia, colored by David Curiel, and lettered by Ariana Mayer. Uh, So, as we know, the Hellions are currently captured by Arcade. Long story short, a lot of shit happens to them, and they're finally able to get free. 
Um, I know, Josue, I already know without asking, Sinister losing the tooth and speaking with the list was probably your favorite part <laughs> oh, of the entire time. issue. <laughs> Sinister's becoming like one of your favorite characters, isn't he? And it's just like because they, he, he is an asshole, he, still, he, he can still run a game. But the fact that they can still, after all of like all that finessing, he can still be the button of a joke after joke after joke. It's it's just what makes it for me. Like, and not so much like yeah. like Apocalypse was fucking awesome. Like that whole, not even Redemption arc, but that whole story from Hawksbox to now, from him going away, was awesome. But this was Sinister is my favorite, but in a whole different feel. Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, we don't need to go over the too many of the details of what happened. It's, you know, it's a pretty straightforward story and, you know, enjoy it for yourself. But yeah, they get free. We get to find out a lot of it was, again, Sinister's plan all along, which seems to be every one of their missions was Sinister had something planned. And yeah. like he's he's using them for his own like gain, which is messed up. Uh, we get to see Mastermind and Lady Mastermind, who I love. I, I hope to see her more in X-Men books because I actually really like that character. When she was uh, a member of the X-Men for a while, it was really cool. Um, so, yeah. Um, good book. It's one of our favorites every time. Like, it's it, just hilarious. It sparked an idea for me. This issue sparked an idea for me. Yeah? What's that? Mostly, mostly because of Quinon. Like, like that whole the, those whole last few pages, she's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking she will cross the line. It's, it's quite on like the once like you, 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 oh, you cross her. You're going to get, you're going to, you're going to fucking regret it before you die. And I say that on purpose. Cause what if, cause we only have the one right now. And she's like, you know what? Fuck it. And I, and I already trained this boy, this child over here. What if since like titles keep kind of popping up and dropping based on like this whole X-Men world, what if we bring back exiles based on the exiled? And Quantum being one of them, is this what I'm saying? Since we already have Sabretooth. Uh, I don't... I have such a loyalty to Exiles. Yeah. And it being like a multi-dimensional spanning thing. Okay. That I'm kind of like... Like, instinctively, I pull back from what you just said. <laughs> but I would be okay with that book. I just don't know if I like the title Exiles. Oh, okay. I love that shit. So, but you know, I get what you're saying. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I can easily see them doing that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, eh, no, I don't like that. Don't do that. So, yeah. Um, and then our last book, always oh, save God. it for last, Marauders number 20. Um, I got the A cover. Oh, yeah. Because, because the A to. cover is that cover. So, yeah. Um, I don't even know if there's a variant, to be honest. I saw this one and picked it up immediately. So, uh, written by Gary Dugan, drawn by Stefano Caselli, colored by Edgar Delgado and Chris Sotomayor, and letter by Corey Petit. I'm worried, Josue. Yeah. Because I know that the X-Men book is renumbering and starting over at one. Yeah. Is Marauder's ending? I said that, but that's when I said concluded, and it, we, saw, we still have two more issues, based on this one, obviously. But that's, that was my prediction back then, too. Do we have two more issues? No, no, that was my prediction two issues oh. ago, when, and, then we had, and then we've had two issues since my prediction, when it said concluded, but that was the whole Madripoor arc anyway. But that's, that's what I was predicting. It was, it, this felt very much like, yo, something's ending here, and it might be this book. Well, in the info page at the beginning, it says, Yes. Marauders have been sailing the high seas, protecting mutants and righting wrongs the world over. They had a good run, but on the eve of the Hellfire Gala, the winds of change are, are yes. blowing. Yeah. 
please don't end this book, Marvel. <laughs> it's like it's like one of, or at least do it a different way. So basically, every supporting character in this story is eating dinner together. This was and a very emotional book for me. I got, dude, I, dude, I welled cool. up and fucking, I welled up and I was like, all right, cool. I can keep myself composed. And then I started telling Sochi my favorite bit, which we'll get to. And then mm. t- tears just started running down my face. Yeah. So let's talk about it. <laughs> so basically they all have a bet on how many knives Storm has on her. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, here's what I hope this book was. I hope this is saying goodbye to Storm as a marauder. Just her, right? Yeah. Just Storm. <laughs> yeah, I don't need anyone else to leave because I love them all. But basically, the whole thing is them telling stories of Storm. Their favorite stories of Storm. Yeah, including Pyro, who doesn't really know her all that well. Um, and that's when they get Lash, uh, where she goes and gets Lash, and he, she basically saves her family and everything, frees her from slavery and stuff. Love Pyro. I still fucking love Pyro. He's still one of my favorite mutants now. I love it. Um, that's when they decided with the knife thing. This shot of Storm, by the way. Yes. I yeah. absolutely loved it. Like, that's a genuine smile. Like, that was human-like to me, so I loved it. Um, also, we find out that Lockheed is steering the boat. <laughs> which is excellent. But basically, yeah, we go through the different stories. We go through um, Bishop. Um, tell me when you want to stop. Uh, Iceman tells the story about her beating up the hate monger. Which is great. Um, and then the Callisto one. Was that the one that got you? The Callisto yeah, one. me too, man. Only because like it's like you get the top panel and it's like um will hurt your body and change your mind to your health and it's like, oh that's cool. Like maybe she maybe she really is reforming, I can actually buy it. And then one, two, three, four panels later, you're just like Oh motherfucker, you just yeah. really come again. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so sad. Like, but but only one that matters, and it's like, fuck yeah, and it just sucks. As like as soon as she joins, and maybe it will be just Storm leaving the Marauders. But fuck, that just felt it meant everything. Yeah, and then Emma even participates, and um, Kitty is just basically like, like how many? Her, she her favorite Storm story is the ones where I'm crying. <laughs> Like, it's just, like, it's so good. And then Storm starts pulling her knives out to count them. Yep. And it's great. And, uh, let's see, do we have a final number? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So Pyro went over. Oh, no, who said ten? No, Pyro said three. So, yeah. But it it was cute. And then I absolutely love Emma so much. Anyone who hates Emma Frost you haven't read the right Emma Frost stories. Right. It hasn't come to you yet. Yep. Just the very beginning, she gives Kitty a diamond brooch in the info page. Did you read that info page? Yeah. The fact that it was two kids. Oh my God. Yes. And it was in the shape of an X, but with, and and, but with a bullet, a silver bullet. Yeah. She's like, if you find yourself on your heels, just recall everyone at the gala. Indeed, everyone you will ever meet on this planet owes you their very life. Yeah. You're too polite to bring it up in conversation, but that's what the joy is for. Thanks for saying yes. Jesus Christ, I almost started crying reading that again. Like, oh my god. And then her little conversation with with Lockheed. Yeah. And then, like, with Sebastian. Sebastian, like, might actually turn around, which is cool. I really dig it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because he's just, like, you know, like, he's getting, like, sentimental, and, like, he might actually end up being a good guy, so. Oh, man, Josue. 
Yeah, because then the one, then going into like the one of the last words, what the fuck? And I will bring it up to the council, to the council along with the Hellfire Expedition. Where yes. to where <laughs> to where? It's got to be space, right? It has to be, like, or underwater. Maybe. Well, I mean, like, I, I mean, we we they've been to space. It's the X Men, but it's like to where? Like the whole. But I'm I'm saying like where on Earth have they not explored? Yeah, you know? well, that's, that's the whole thing too. It's like the whole at least like the plot line to the Powers of Ten uh, book and Hawksbox was about those two those two futures, not alternate futures, but those two futures to be, and it's like. Fuck yeah! I don't know the the Hellfire Expedition after the Hellfire Gala. Like, are you serious? I love it. I love it all. (laughs) Yeah, it's just incredible. So, all right, guys, we ran over, so we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on We Have Issues. As always, you can check us out on Twitter at WHI Podcast. You can check me out at WHI Podcast Keith. Our producer Liz at WHI Podcast Liz. Hostway at Hostway Reads Hostway. Also check out our sister show, Jukebox Vertigo, where we make a continuously building playlist while meeting our new Geek Elite Media friends. We have guests scheduled for the next five episodes, all different people, so we're looking very forward to getting to know everybody. Uh, you can check that show out on, along with everything else we do at Geek Elite Media, uh, at geekelitemedia.com, as well as on Twitter. And that show is specifically at Jukebox Vertigo. Um, but once again, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate you guys. And don't forget to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.